This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Phil Hodgkinson and you're listening to Andy Takes That Chance. Christopher Schindler. Has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. And he takes that chance! Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Andy Takes That Chance podcast. Today myself, Matt and Neil are joined by Huddersfield Town owner and chairman Phil Hodgkinson. Good evening. Sadly, Cosy is sunning himself in Taunton watching the cricket, but that trip wasn't funded by this episode's sponsor, AKLD. AKLD have unsponsored Cosy Rioke using the Save Our Ears hashtag, so I'm afraid that there's no spontaneous singing allowed, even if you're still over the moon about nailing your first choice manager, Phil. So AKLD stands for Andy K Learning and Development. Andy's a qualified life and business coach. He's a leadership development facilitator, coach and trainer, who's been working with companies to improve their leadership skills over the past 15 years. Andy's roots are based very much in emotional intelligence and sports psychology. So if you're interested in anything Andy has to offer, uh, we'll post a link to that in the podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, it'll be in the bottom left-hand corner. Okay, so let's start at the beginning, Phil. So welcome to welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Growing up as a Huddersfield Town fan, what are your favourite memories from... I remember the story you told us about being a member of, um, was it the Young Terriers yeah, back yeah, in the day? Yeah. Um, what are your favourite memories from from growing up as a fan of the club? So many. Uh, first game was on my birthday, 1979, against Hartlepool. I think we won 2-0. Um, and I, just, I, I remember being sat in the main stand with my mum. She took me. At the front, and there was a there was always a low wall, a little red brick wall, I think it was, and I just can the vision, I can just the memory is me with my feet on the wall, just sort of half taking in the game. Um, my first away game sticks in the memory. That was I went with the Young Terriers, and again that was on my birthday. Um, it was Grimsby Town away on the thirty first of March, nineteen eighty three, and I remember it vividly because in the Young Terriers, uh, I, I was in the Ray Wilson team, and there was a guy. I just remember his first name was Paul, and uh, and he was in my my team, and he had. We used to go to Huddersfield Sports Centre and get a bus all together to the ground, but we always had some food and it was always chips and something in a tray in a tray yeah. <laughs> uh, either a sausage or fish fingers yeah. and Paul <clears throat> used to drown 
his chips in vinegar, literally a centimetre deep. Yeah. And he used to eat the food and then he drunk it out of the tray the whole <laughs> lot, which I found quite disgusting. Anyway, it was my birthday and we were on the coach to Grimsby. And this was when Steve Kinden had started at the club, I think he'd not, not long since finished playing, and he was kind of almost running the Young Terriers to yeah. a degree. And we were sat on the back seat, me and Paul and a couple of the other kids, I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember who they were, and Steve Kinden was sat right on the front and we'd all been given an apple, we'd eaten the apple. And Paul dared me to see how far I could throw my apple core down the coach. So I did, because I was 11 and stupid. So I flung this half-eaten apple down the coach and it smacked Steve Kinden square in the back of the head. And he jumped up, I thought he was going to kill me, ran to the back of the coach. Didn't quite get hold of me, but he was screaming he was going to throw us off the coach. And that is the abiding memory of my first away game. Um, first away game where I got punched by an away supporter was uh, when I was 16 away at Burnley. Uh, and that actually happened to two separate occasions. The night, the night, they were nice to Burnley fans. Um, I remember always being on the club videos eating a pie. So Middlesbrough, when we got hammered five-one away at Middlesbrough, I was, uh, I was, I was briefly on the club video eating a pie. And I think that David very kindly found that image at some point when I took over the club and stuck it on there. And I think the following year I was also on there briefly in the crowd eating a pie. So um, that'll please some people. Uh, and and then there, there are so many memories, you know. It's you, you remember players, and and but um, I, I used to sit in the Kilner Bank with um, where there were a group of us, uh, Midge, Shawsey, and Fez, who, who I still know. And uh, Midge's lads actually in our academy now, Ben Midgley. So that's quite a nice story. We used to sit in the top of the Kilner Bank, about three sections in, um, and and go to every single game, and just just so many memories, you know, Wembley. Um, Cardiff playoff final I can't remember the name of the Mansfield player blonde haired really cocky Liam Lawrence Liam Lawrence and I've never been so happy from when he spooned <clears throat> it over the bar um, you know so many memories worst ever game at home when we got relegated at home to Birmingham I was distraught it took me mm. weeks to get over it because it should yeah. just never have happened and everything just went wrong that day um, Barnsley game when we relegated Peterborough that was just fantastic um, and and you know any game where we beat Leeds isn't it really so we've had a few of them over recent years yeah. and um, just just lots of memories I've been to so many games over 40 years and, and good and bad memories and, and some stick in your mind I think was it was it Palace or Brighton? Was it Brighton? We beat seven one at home in the league. Hit the bus. Hit the bus. Remember those vividly because it's such a rarity for us to score <laughs> yeah. that many goals. Um, and yeah, just just loads of memories. First time I, I invaded the pitch was uh, uh, out of the terrace at Leeds Road after Dave Cowling scored the goal that got us promoted. And I ran on the pitch with my best mate at the time, Avia Avia Pinching. And uh, we ran on the pitch and both dived into the net and touched it where the ball had hit Cowling's goal. Newport County, that. Yeah, Newport yeah. County, 1-0 Cowling, late on. And uh, the one thing that I remember when I was younger was um, after the Young Terriers, Avia's dad used to take us to every home game. He was a big town fan. And the memory that sticks in my mind was getting back to the car to listen to Sports Report and that music's never yeah. left me. Mm. Yeah. James Alexander Gordon yeah. the result. and the, yeah. the, the sports report the music the tune at yeah. the start yeah. is still in my head now it's yeah. like an abiding memory yeah. I remember when we played Leeds at home a couple of times and they used to um, you used to leave Leeds Road and they'd walk the Leeds fans and us all towards the station and for some reason the police had this 
fantastic idea that halfway up Leeds Road you'd cross over because the Leeds fans were on the wrong side of the road and the home fans were on the other and they'd cross over and I've never had so many bottles flying over my head at that moment in time. So yeah, loads of memories, but you know, although some of them were bad days, none of them are particularly bad memories. Yeah. They're just memories and there's, there's loads, there's loads. You can, you can talk about the obvious ones, but um, you know, the, the first away game, first home game, all those things, first time on the pitch. Um you know, distraught Old Trafford. God, that was horrible. I've actually still got my membership card from Young Terriers. Yeah. With this ridiculous picture of me with floppy hair and a horrible brown coat on. And <laughs> I think I YT 15 or 16. Yeah. And I've still got my trophy for the Ray Wilson team winning yeah. in, in I would in, I would in Ray Wilson team. Yeah. I've got my trophy. Yeah, it's a little, little trophy. Another lad called Chris Purcell, who's right. been going donkey jays. He won in it as well. So I loved it. If, yeah, but, I used to do a bit of five-a-side and... It were brilliant. Yeah, it were brilliant. Quizzes and get, stuff. and Get odd guest speaker in and yeah. odd player and referees and stuff like that. And it yeah. were quizzes and... Well, remember re- Christmas party at Johnny's? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I remember <laughs> one. Yeah, we metal dance floor and yeah. phone box. I remember that. But Ray Wilson lived up the road. He had the funeral home in Outlay and yeah. I lived in Outlay for a while yeah. before we moved to Stainland. And me, I don't know whether it was my mum or, or me, me stepdad at the time, but they must have got hold of him and he actually... Yeah came down of the house while I was still in the Young Terriers and brought me a load of stuff, signed stuff and whatever. Did some great and stuff. And I was, I was just stunned, like, absolutely stunned. Re- really did some great stuff. I remember, I remember taking uh, taking part in a penalty shootout on Oldham's plastic pitch. Right. Yeah, and we played away at Stoke when they had, um, when they were at the old Victoria ground, played on pitch there at half time. And mm. you never forget stuff like that as no. a kid, do you there? I remember being a ball boy at Leeds Road. Yeah. And Getting a bottle of lemonade at yeah, half time. Yeah, half time, bottle of lemonade <laughs> yeah. under the stairs in that little <laughs> cubby hole. Yeah. And Steve Kinden, it was Steve Kinden again, I think, when we were a ball boy and he came in and said, right, this is what you do. When when it's our throw, you throw it straight back. When it's the away teams, you keep hold of it or you drop it. Yeah. Take your time getting the ball back yeah. to them. So loads of, loads of memories, Brilliant. loads of memories. Fantastic. So what we're going to do today is we're going to open up the forum to the Huddersfield Town fans. So thanks to Dave Throwfall Sykes is with us in the corner. We've tried to get him on the microphone, but Dave's shying away in the corner, sadly. But... <laughs> Thanks to uh, Dave and, and the team to put the uh, the notice on the, the website as well, which was great. So we've had a really good response to that as well. So what we'll do is we'll open up to the other Huddersfield Town fans and we'll interject where and, and when. So the first one that's come through is from at Town Trader on Twitter. And he's asked you who your favourite players were from the 80s, 90s and noughts, okay. or all time even. And he says, it's too easy to focus on today, but if you don't name Andy Booth and Tommy Cowan, then he's going to be doubtful of you forever. <laughs> okay. Well, I've done a little bit of work on this, actually. So um, so th- these these are my 11s. Um, eight, 80s, uh, Brian Cox, goalkeeper. I used to love Brian Cox, particularly when we got the red goalkeeper shirt that yeah. one year that he wore. I love that shirt because it were always green. Uh, back four, Mally Brown, Burke, Sutton, Webster. All good awesome. players. Uh, midfield, Lillis, Stanton, May, Cowling. Andy May. Yeah. yeah. And then up front, Duncan Shearer and Craig Maskell, who stood out as the best two for me in the 80s. Really. He was my first hero, was Craig Maskell. Yeah. yeah Duncan Shearer one. was mine. Duncan Shearer was some. Scott actually got his debut up bad. Did, yeah. Uh, I missed him. Yeah. And, then, and then two worlds against Stoke Week after. Yeah. 90s, Steve Francis for me as a keeper. Yeah. He was my favourite. Yeah. Love Steve Francis. Jenkins, Cowan, Jackson, and Morrison. Edmondson, Bullock, Horn, Thornley. And then up front, it's an embarrassment of Richards. I've got Booth, Starbucks, Stewart and Jepson. Because, I mean, what do you do? Play them all. 
You just play, <laughs> play, too far, play yeah. four, four, four. Yeah. That's what I would have done it, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. An early 2000s, Vassen for me was the best keeper we had in, in that era. Uh, again, I've thrown Jenkins in there because I just thought he was quality. I just yeah. thought he was great at the back. Lachetti, Gray, Murphin. I know Murphin's not a left back, but just at the, at the back. He'd give it a go. Taylor Fletcher, Gorey, Cars. John Worthington, and I've even thrown in Michael Collins and Danny Schofield as well, because I really rated them. Yeah. Um, and then up front, Wineyard instead. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And I'm not going to go into the late 2000s because it's, it's, it's fresh. Let's yeah. let's let's go for let's, yeah, go, for, let's go for 2010 to 2020 in a couple of years. Yeah, we'll do all that. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Every every Huddersfield Town fan from I'm going to say your era. I'm going to cl- I'm going to cling on to Dave's age group here and, and say your era. <laughs> Every town fan of a certain era claims they were at Main Road for the ten one. And Graham Ellis has said, "Are you were you at the ten one at Main Road?" No, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't. Thankfully, um, I was at Westvale Squash Club with my mates having an illegal beer um, at the time, and was unfortunate enough to uh, to have to watch the for some reason ITV had picked that game. To, for their football highlight show, yeah. was it on a Friday? The game was a sat. Was it, it Saturday? Was, it, was Saturday yeah. it was Saturday. But they had a football highlight yeah. show on ITV, and they they picked that game. Yeah. And our our in Westvale Squash Club with a load of schoolmates. We were towards the end. Of, it was leaving school time, really, having an illegal beer, and uh, and we had to sit through and watch it on the ITV highlights, and and it was just. Horrific! So it's just embarrassing, wasn't it? That's all you felt. Yeah, embarrassment. Complete embarrassment. Uh, but no, I wasn't there. I was there, though. I think about six of those were offside. <laughs> yeah. I was actually there with your cousin, Phil. Yeah. yeah, he still doesn't know it's me on Twitter. That's brilliant. <laughs> is that? But anyway, that's another another thing. But fantastic! So it's great to hear memories of of that. Um, we'll move. We'll move on. So what we'll do is we'll do this uh, podcast in certain groups. So we'll we'll focus on certain groups and the next. Discussion group, if you like, is surrounding your business or so pure business group. Mm-hmm. Um, people remember that's pure legal from the shirt, you know, from yeah. 2015. Uh, was it 15 to 17 that it was on, and then on yeah, the it sleeve, was, uh, was it after? Very proudly the promotion season, and then we we're on the sleeve in the uh, in the Premier League season as well. Yeah. So, what would you class as your successes with Pure? So, what what's made Pure Business Group a success? Well, I think it pro- probably give you a brief history. So. You know, there's been a lot of things said, mm-hmm. and a lot of things have been missed. It's quite quite important to say that. So, some of the things that have been missed is that my first company I sold that in 2013 for 13 million pounds, and that's public record. Um, I invested that money wisely, and I invested some of that money into setting up Pure Business Group. Pure Business Group started off, um, so my previous business was cost drafting, so we acted for law firms all over the UK, um, drafting bills of costs, so almost a posh, not debt recovery, that's the wrong word, but we have cost draftsmen and we recover fees on behalf of solicitors. And what ultimately happened was I sold that business to a PLC, Stayed on for 12 months as CEO of the PLC. Didn't enjoy it. I'm unemployable. You know, I've had my own business for that long, so I was no good working for someone. Um, and I decided to to go bigger. And what I actually did was I leased an office 25 yards across the road from my old office that I'd sold to another company. And I went up there every night after sort of seven o'clock when the business park was shut. And we put brown paper over the windows. It was about 5,000 square foot and we decorated it and put, put furniture in there, etc. And then on the day that my restrictive covenants were up, I put a big 20 foot by 10 foot banner on the side of the building that said, now hiring. 
and 65 of the staff that worked for me in my last business walked over the road and came to work for me in my new business and we brought all 200 clients with us. So so it was an immediate um, start to the business. Uh, I'm not a qualified lawyer, so ABS structures were in, introduced in 2011, which allowed um, people who pass the test to non-lawyers to, to own law firms and run them. Um, and so I set up Pure Business Group. So there's a popular misconception that Pure Legal is my only business. It's not. Pure Business Group's made up of 20 companies and brands. Um, and I think before we started the podcast, I think there's been a set of accounts for Pure Legal being banded around and used as a as a um, maybe a, 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 a stick. And what I brought with me was some accounts for that same period for my other businesses in Pure Business Group that are freely available on Companies House for the exact same period that... Uh, showed several million pounds of profit, which I'm sure that if you wanted to, you'd verify. Because I think it's important because people have, um, there's been a bit of an agenda um, and people have believed it. And that's disappointing because you don't have to look far to find out all the companies that I own that made money in that we, period. We can confirm thing. that we have seen those as well. And they are mm. readily available if people so, want to they look are, in the right they places. Are, they, are, they are available for public <laughs> yeah. record. My successes, Pure Business Group. So what I wanted to do was, so we're not ambulance chasers. We don't do personal injury. So that's another myth. We don't do PPI. We don't cold call people. We are an ethical business. So I worked in insurance and the law for nearly 30 years. And I've seen people do it wrong and badly. And so what I wanted to do was set up a business that did it in the right way. And so what we do is we work in, um, we don't do personal injury. We don't do stuff like that. We don't do your traditional stuff. We deal with um, high value cases, mainly in in a lot of serious financial mis-selling that happened before the financial crash in 2008, where people were fraudulently sold mortgages, pensions, that kind of stuff. So most of the cases that we deal with have have values of sort of 50 to 200,000 pounds per case. And what we've developed is I've I've got my own insurance company that no one knows about. I've got my own funding company and we provide about 500 million pounds worth of funding a year to people to pursue these cases. Um, We have vetting companies that vet the cases. I own a technology company that builds websites, builds apps, builds systems to run the cases, works externally. Could use you for that. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And and so what we do is we, we softly market. So we don't make phone calls. We don't text people. We don't email them. What we do is we have our brands are claim your brands, but they're in markets that I've discussed and what we do is we have banner ads on Facebook, Twitter and we, we, we market digitally and people choose to click on the link they come to our website they choose to fill in a form and they then ask us to call them so it's it's, do, it's done the opposite way to the rest of the industry so yeah. we don't do guerrilla marketing we don't do cold calling or direct marketing people choose to come to us um, we deal with about 2,000 cases a month and that's growing all the time. We've moved into commercial litigation, acting for businesses and things like that. And what we do is we provide a, a, a fund for the clients to pursue the cases because they pretty much always go to court. But we also insure it so the customers never has to pay anything. Yeah. So it's almost no win, no fee, but they can pursue the claim. We fund it, we insure it. We have two law firms that process the cases and we have a panel. Um, and then we settle the cases, we put them into our cost firm and, and, and so on, and it churns. Uh, like I say, we deal with about 15,000 inquiries a month. We probably vet out about 70% of what we get. We take on about 30% because we only want cases that we're going to be successful on. 
Um, and we run them right the way through the process. Um, biggest success, we employ nearly 500 staff in four locations and growing. Um, the the, the company's, um, I think our turnover in the group last year was approaching 50 million. And this year it should be double that. And we'll probably get to four times that in the next three years. We'll probably be around seven, 800 staff around the country. Um, but that isn't my only business. I own a business management consultancy and there are four companies that I have down in London that I invested in a few years ago that, that I'm not a director or shareholder of. So you won't find them on Companies House, but I, I have... A, a significant interest and therefore I get a share of the profits and they make a lot of money. And and the reality is I think, you know, that should put it to bed. Um, people that are talking about finance, etc. when our accounts get published later on this year, they'll realise that what's been said is wrong and they've probably been led down a, a garden path, which is unfortunate. But I've grown that business from selling my previous one to, to, as I say, turnover last year across my businesses of 50 million. I think this year, including the insurance company and the funding company, we'll probably turn over 150, 200 million, something like that. And I'm proud of that. I've done that from nothing. I've been, I've never been given anything in my life. Um, my, you know, I own properties here and abroad and they've been on the line from day one. They're not now because obviously, but from day one, you know, people say, how do you become successful? And the reality is you listen to people that know more than you do. And I've always done that. I've always listened to people that know more than I do. And I've taken it on board and I've used it because there's every day is a school day. There's always someone who knows more than you about something and listen to them, you know. Um, but you've got to have guts. You've got to be prepared to risk everything to gain everything. And I've always been prepared to lose everything because I've been always been confident in what I've done. So I think we're in year five now and I've grown that business from nothing to 500 people in four locations with a 50 million turnover in year four and, and probably turnover this year of over 100 million. So yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. Rightly so. Absolutely. It was um, some of the Southport fans were, were the initial ones who seemed to do the digging at Company's House as well. Um, <laughs> I know I, I know which one it was as well. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll put that to bed with, with what he said and... Obviously, if you, you try to get half a story, then you, you can never present that as yeah. a full one, can you? So? Look, with Southport, I invested two and a half million pounds of my own cash into Southport. Not by way of loans, I bought shares because to, to do it in the normal way by way of loans would put a club like that under a lot of pressure. They can't pay that back. So I put my own cash into it. We rebuilt the main stand. And, and you know, the reality was that, that that main stand was not fit for purpose. So... It, it was a fire hazard. It had asbestos in it. And we only found that out when we started doing the work because it was the first time the council had bothered to come out and inspect it. Had they inspected it at any point in the previous 20 years, it would have been condemned. Oh. So no, they wouldn't have been able to use it. And what the, the price of that just went up and up and up. It went from an initial budget of 500,000 to 1.6 million overnight. We had to rip the asbestos out. We had to put in, there was, there was no fire protection at all. We had to put fire protection into the roofs. There was none. If there'd have been a fire, I'd, I'd dread to think what would have happened. Another Bradford scenario, but it sounds but, a bit... But, yeah, yeah, potentially on a smaller scale. But, it, you know, so I invested two and a half million pounds of my own cash into Southport. Um, and you're and, not looking for that back either. Right? That's, that's No, I, yeah. as, as part of the deal to buy Huddersfield, what I did was I gave Ian, who's now taken over, who was a co-director, great guy, um, the opportunity to buy those back off me over three years, but the EFL, well, more the National League 
and the EFL, but mainly the National League were uncomfortable with that. Um, the uh, the EFL put a condition on Southport because, although I didn't have an interest in the club, because I'd he'd bought the shares, but because Ian had a period of time to buy them off me, the EFL put a condition on the deal in, in that if Southport had got promoted to the Football League in that three-year period, if he hadn't bought all of the shares, they would not allow them to be promoted to the Football League. And this was the reason that the deal took so long, because the National League quite rightly took umbrage to that with the EFL because they didn't think it would be fair to have a team in the National League unable to gain promotion under the same terms as any other National League team. So the delay in the deal wasn't that I'd failed the fit and proper test, it was that the National League would not ratify the deal on that basis. The only way that we could get the deal through for Huddersfield was for me to give away my two and a half million quid for a for a hundred quid, which is what I did. So we'll move up we'll move on from from Pure and we'll we'll talk about you buying the football club as well. I think a lot of people are interested in in the story because obviously Dean had a had his illness which wasn't well publicised until sort of January. Buying your f- boyhood football club uh, should have been a dream for you for, for many years, I'm, I'm guessing. Are you able to tell us more about how the opportunity came up, how Dean got in touch? Because we believe he was talking to a number of different people from abroad. He mentioned it on the podcast here. Not that I'm implicating you in that. <laughs> uh, he mentioned it to us on this no, podcast. I, I, Dean's covered that. So for, for, yeah. for me to comment on other parties, I, you know. Yeah, how did he? How did it come to you? Did he? Did he? Was did, it, was he, it him he, that came to you? Yeah, Dean, yeah. Dean texted me. Yeah, Dean sent me a text from hospital. Um, I think I've still got it on my phone, actually. Um, for, I'm... I'm, I'm Terrible at deleting deleting texts. I keep everything. Um, but Dean texted me and said, "Will you come and see me? Um, I want to talk to you about the future and legacy." It was quite cryptic, <laughs> so I just texted him back and went, "Yeah, of course I will." Um, and I went over to uh, the hospital. I think the St James wasn't it? It was St James's, but it was it was that week. I think it was late that week. I think he I think he might have texted me on the Monday or Tuesday, and I think I went over on the Friday. I, I could have got that a little bit wrong, but it was it wasn't there wasn't a big gap. And um, I met him in the bereavement room at the hospital. Um, yeah, sounds a bit creepy. And, it, and Janet was there, and Darren Bryant obviously, and I had Dave Kirby with me, who's my 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 numbers guy. Um, and, and 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 ultimately, it was look. I've been going through a process, um, but I want I want there to be a legacy, and and I, and I don't feel comfortable um, having someone who doesn't have the best interests of the club necessarily at heart. And I know that you would, and I know that we've we'd never discussed it as such. But I joked a couple of times, and it's, you know, we joked about it, and gone. Well, you know, if you if you're looking for someone to join the board of directors, give me a shout. And um, and you know, Dean Dean sort of loosely was aware of what I did and that it was successful. And to be fair, I'd I'd, I'd bought his villa in Portugal off him that year, so he, he knew I'd a bob or two. Um, and he said, "Are you interested?" And I kind of had a feeling, but the, his text was quite cryptic. But and I, I was I wasn't taken aback. I was like, "Whoa!" I wasn't. I was half expecting that, but now you've said it. Um, and you know, Dean was really ill, and when, I mean, when I walked in the room, I was like, "Bloody hell!" He'd lost about five stone. It was. He mm. showed you know, us a couple of pictures oh, when he was God, here, which was like horrific. God, yeah, um, and and we chatted, and and it literally, you know, people have said to me, "How long did you have to think about it?" And I went, "I knew on the way home from the hospital, I was going to say, yeah." That's just you, you, you know. Yeah. 
why wouldn't you? Uh, and there were, there, were, there were always going to be, you know, things that I had to consider, but it was a no-brainer for me. I mean, that opportunity, um, if I hadn't have done it, you know, it's like I said to Dean at the time, I said, if you were asking, it's, it almost came 12 months too soon for me because my business is still growing. It's not quite in the position that Dean was in when he bought the club because he was sort of selling his business at the time. And I'm getting towards probably that point in the next two or three years, but I need to be there quite a lot. And so timing wise, it wasn't ideal, but it wasn't way off. Um, and I knew when, I knew on the way home, I mean, I got home and I just sort of sat my wife and son down and I went, look, you can say no if you want, but... I'm going to say, yeah. <laughs> I really want to do it. And I've, I've said to my wife recently, because she, she's been feeling it quite a lot, my wife, mm. she's, she, she, she didn't go to the Fulham game and neither did my mum because they felt unsafe because of some stuff that had been sent to us. And I said to her recently when she was like, you shouldn't have done this. <clears throat> I said, look, I gave you six chances to say no and you never did. So it's too late. <laughs> um, and that's how it came about. And we and we took it from there. We went through a thorough, you know, a full due diligence process you know, when it, when it comes to the due diligence, Dean, Dean and Darren and the club did their due diligence on me. I did my due diligence on them. But you know, it's really important as well. as the, the FA and the AFL don't just do a fit and proper person test. They do financial due diligence and you have to prove to them that you can fund the club going forward if things don't go according to plan. And you have to sign a legally binding agreement to confirm that. You can't get out of it. And so, you know, that happened that was done. That was part yeah. of the process. So, you know, my finances and my finances moving forward have been checked out by everybody. Um, and, and, and you know, that's where we are. That's how it happened. Yeah, Dean approached me. I was, I was flattered, really proud um, and, and, and ex- excited. And, and it would have been nice for that to have carried on for more than a few weeks. Unfortunately, it fairly quickly went downhill. So that's where we are. But yeah, it was, and you know, I think Dean's explained it more, more than once. He, he, he wanted a supporter to, because in, in, Dean knows that I won't make any decisions for me. He knows that every decision that I make, whether people like it or not, whether supporters are happy with it, Every decision that I make, Dean knows, will be for the good of the football club because you're a custodian. Yeah. It's not my club. It's not your club. It's our club. Yeah. And I've my job as owner and chairman, first and foremost, my first most important job is to make sure that football club's still here in 10, 20, 30 years' time. Yeah. That's the first part. That's yeah. the important part. Everything else is peripheral. Everything else is peripheral. My job is to make sure we still have a football club in 10 years' time. That's the important thing. And, and that's the job. And you have to make some decisions that if you were a supporter, which I am, you wouldn't want to make. And you know how people are going to react, but you know that what you're doing is for the good of the club and you have to just stick to it and do it. Yep. And that's what I have to do. And that's what Dean did. Um, that's and, why and people like yourself become chairman, because you are brave enough to stand up and... And make those decisions and, you know... Honestly, trust me, some of of the stuff that I've had to do for the good of the football club, I've wrestled with. Genuinely, I've sat there and thought, how are people going to react? How do I feel about it? But but when you you put it in that context, you know that you absolutely are doing it for the good of the football club. It might not be for the good of the football club that day, but overall... Over a 12 month, two year, three year, you know that what you're yeah. ultimately doing, as long as it's the right thing for the football club, then you can sleep at night. And if any of the things that I'd done in the, I think I've owned the club for 68 days, I think, there or thereabouts, genuinely. 
Um, it might be a bit less than that, actually. It might be 64. Um, everything that I've done, no matter how it's been received or how I've felt about it, has absolutely 100% been for the good of Huddersfield Town Football Club. Spot on. So we'll go back to Twitter and we'll we'll, we'll see what other people have... I've deleted it. This. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have it anymore. Well, we've, we've got tweets coming in. So we've had similar questions pertaining to how, how you've bought the club. Yeah. Uh, and through what means. So what I'll do is I'll try and tie two or three tweets together. Of course. Um, on company, it was mentioned as well on Company's House, there's a debenture for Dean Hoyle from the third of, created on the 3rd of July as well, which I presume is for repayment of loans of what he's put into the club over the last 10 years that he's been there, um, which is probably... I don't know how much it doesn't say in there how much it's for I've only just scanned it and, and documents like that go way, it's, it's, way over my head it's in the club accounts and always will be every year yeah. you know it's always in there so the questions we've had we've had a question from Daniel Cl- the same question from Daniel Cloris Aidan Gibson Ian Kilroy and by the looks of it a Southport fan asking how much uh, how the purchase was financed and how this debenture loan has been settled uh, is that coming from you your business wealth your personal wealth are you using the well? Essentially, people are asking: Are you using the parachute payments and the monies earned by the club in transfers to finance that over the next couple of years? So, two two answers. So, the first and most important one is that I haven't and I never will take a penny out of Huddersfield Town Football Club. So that's clears quite a bit of that up. As far as the deal to buy the football club, that is as any business deal, as any as any acquisition is covered by a non disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. So the terms of which aren't going to be disclosed because it's a it's a business deal and they never are. And I think Dean covered it in his Q&A when he said, I've not sold it on Rightmove, i.e. it's none of your business. <laughs> um, what I will say, um, um, because I've, I've discussed it with Dean, because we've got an NDA in place, but I did say this needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Um, but I, under- you know, I understand. So in essence, there was a price for the football club. It was the same price for anybody who wanted to buy it. Right. Okay. So, and that price... Is the price? That's the price, and that's non-disclosure, so you can't say that. Correct for people listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, as part of the deal, and as part of the deal with anybody, and more importantly, um, you know, if Dean still owned the club, Dean would want to be taking some of his loans out because now's the opportunity, Premier League, etc. So there's a price for the club deal. As part of that deal, deal Dean will get a big chunk of his loans back. And it'll be over a period of time, two to three years. And the, what that will give us is a Premier League legacy of having a debt-free football club, which is a rarity in this day and age. And what you've got to remember is, you know, what, what I've bought is um, is a football club that doesn't own its own stadium, that doesn't officially own its own training ground. It, it's always leased it. So Dean, Dean, Dean's a company owns a training ground, so the, the club leases it. Um, and the club have got a long lease on that, and I have the opportunity to acquire that at any point in the next 10 years, which will happen in the fullness of time. One thing, one thing at a time. There's no rush. There's no rush. It, it, it works out great. Um, and we'll continue to invest in it, and I'll, I'll no doubt be asked to cover that. And it doesn't have any assets, but it has a significant debt to its previous owner. So like most football clubs, they have a debt and that debt needs to be serviced. So Dean is a director and minority shareholder and therefore as a minority shareholder with a debt owing to him, 
he's yeah that's the dementia that's perfectly normal in business it's i would have one if it was the other way around anybody else would have one so um and it, yeah the price was the price and it'll be dealt with over the next two or three years and we'll have a debt-free football club which i think is not a bad legacy to have from being yeah, in the premier league this time around mm. i think some of the concerns from people obviously people get the impression you get these parachute payments and they look at clubs like Fulham, for example, don't they? who've got a billionaire backer who, who's, who's backing them. And they look at maybe Burnley as a similar sort of club to us. And Burnley came down. I think they sold a few players and then they went out and spent eight million on Andre Gray to fire them back up. Um, one of the questions coming, well, the questions coming through is these payments going back out, are they going to hamstring the club from doing things like that? Or are Huddersfield Town not going to do things like that? Because th- those are big outlays, aren't they, for you know, eight, nine million pounds on a strike. Is this not what we do or what's what's the, what's um, the I, I I don't think it's a case of is that what we do is that not what we do but as a as a Premier League club it's different to being a championship club um, and I think you know what you've got to remember is that we've always been a trading club we will always be a trading club so we will we will continue to sell some of our assets and that money will go back into the football club and a proportion of it will be reinvested Um and, and we'll probably, I'll, I'll, I'll cover that on how transfers work because there's there's a few misconceptions and I think it'd be really good to clear that up. Um, but in, in our last four seasons in the championship, we spent um, 13, 14, we spent less than 5 million on transfers, 14, 15, less than 2 million, 15, 16, less than a million. And the season we went up, we spent just over 4 million pound on transfers. Um, within that period... You know, these are some of the free transfers that we brought in because there's been a lot of people talking about free transfers, etc. Um, some of the free transfers we brought in in that time, John Stead, Harry Bunn, Lee Peltier, Martin Craney, Dean Whitehead, Michael Heffler, Chris Lover, Jack Payne, Danny Williams, Rob Green, Eric Derm, all free transfers. And if you look at this season in the championship, and I've done my research, as you'd expect me to, there's 24 teams in the championship, including us. And this season in the championship, this is these are the averages over the 24 clubs. The average spend, 7 million. We spent 11.5 million on transfers this window. The fact that one of the players was already here is irrelevant. If he hadn't have been, we'd have still spent that money. But I think one people, of the people forget about Mbenz. Yeah. Yeah. So we spent 11.5 million on incoming transfer. That's what's sixth highest in the division. The average transfer spend across the championship, 7 million. The average transfer income is 13 million. The average number of loan players per club is three, and the average number of free transfers brought in this season is three per club. That's the championship now. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm mindful of the fact that anything I say is taken as read, and we've got to get to a point here whereby I either continue to be as open as I can be, but people accept that this is football and things change for the bizarre reasons, and I'll give you a couple of examples. Or they accept that I'm not going to say anything because if they're gonna, if people are gonna hold me to absolutely everything, then I'll, it's best to say nothing because this is football. It's volatile. People change their minds. Agents get involved. Clubs change their minds. So, so you know, some of the things that I've said, I haven't lied to anybody. I've said things with the best intentions, and things were happening, and then. And a couple of, in a couple of circumstances, the most bizarre things have happened that you just, I'll, I'll write a book, but you, you can't control everything in football. It's not possible. I'd rather be open, but to do that, supporters have got to accept that you can't guarantee everything. So to be open, you have to accept that 
some things you'll try to make them happen, but you might not be able to completely control it. Um, and that some things may happen in a different way. Or we get to a point whereby I just don't say anything till it happens, which I'd rather not. But if I'm going to be held to the letter of everything that I say, or it's going to be misinterpreted and then get, you know, in bother for it or criticised for it, then it's best to say nothing. And I don't really want us to go down that road because I actually, I'd like to be as open as I can be. Um, I think the example, three Premier League loans. Yeah. So... What we said was, we're working on bringing in three Premier League loans that will have a similar impact in their positions as Aaron Moy did when he came on loan. Yep. So we bought in Grabara, who I think is an absolute worldie as a keeper. Yep. We brought in Chalaba, who, who's, who's both of them have been Blue and White Foundation Player of the Month once each in the first three, three goes. So we're not doing half bad. The third one was Kieran Dowell. So Kieran Dowell was going to be Aaron Moy's replacement and we'd agreed the deal with the play, we'd agreed to deal with Everton, we'd agreed to deal with his agent. But then the Aaron Moy situation didn't develop. And I'll, and I'll, I'll go on and explain that because I've got no... Is it asked later on, do you want me to save it or do you want me to do it now? Do I don't know. Yeah. Do you want me to do it? So Kieran Dowell was, was coming in as Aaron Moy's replacement. It was all agreed, it was ready to go and the agent was very impatient. So, and Aaron, who, by the way, what a great guy. What an absolute top, top, top guy Aaron's just to, to deal with. If every footballer was like Aaron, oh my God. He's just, just a, I can't speak highly enough of him. I genuinely can't. We, we, I text him every every other week and we, and we chat and what have you. And, and the, you know, he's just a diamond. Aaron, um, Aaron's agent had told the club before I got involved that if we weren't in the Premier League, to not bother offering him a new deal. That's what his agent said. And so nobody at the club did. And he was Paddy starting... Paddy Dominguez, wasn't he? I can't remember. I don't know who he was because I wasn't around. So, um, and, and, and so he was starting... This season was his last season and there was no option. We found out that Aaron was changing agents. We assumed that because we knew that Aaron wouldn't assign for us unless we'd got promoted because he wanted to play in the Premier League, that he wouldn't want to play in the Championship. We assumed that, but we didn't have any confirmation because we couldn't speak to his agent because he was between agents. Not Aaron's fault. Mm -hmm. It was the agents, the respective agents didn't get the ducks in a row. So where we were left with Aaron was in a situation whereby we didn't know whether he was going or staying. We we were pretty sure he he would want to go, but there was no indication and players just want you to speak to their agents with respect. We got to a point whereby Aaron's agent finally changed about 10 days before the end of the window. Mm. And at that point, I was on holiday in Portugal. So as soon as I got the nod, I rang Aaron and I said, do you want to talk about a new deal? And he went, I don't see why not. At which point, it looked like he was staying. Kieran Dowell's agent got impatient and took him to Derby the next day. I asked Kieran, I asked his agent, we asked him to just hold off for a week. So we said, if you just hold off for a week, there's a situation and we're still confident that we're going to sign Kieran, but we've got to let the situation play out with a member of our squad. And obviously this is getting close to the end of the, you know, we're not close to the end of the window, but it's getting to that point. His agent said yes, um, and then took him to Derby the next day and he signed. 
So that was the third loan. What ultimately happened with Aaron was we made him a contract offer, which was a, a, it was the biggest contract we'd have ever offered a player in the championship. It was a, a, a proper, proper contract. Um, they came back and said, uh, there's a few tweaks, but you're not a million miles away. So obviously I'm thinking, what a good do he's staying. This is fantastic. What He's great. Um, I got back from holiday. We sent over an amended one and I got back from holiday and I think the it was the Tuesday night. I think Tuesday night. Aaron texted me and said, Phil, I'm coming in tomorrow with my agent. We're getting this new contract sorted. So I'm doing cartwheels around the lounge. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, Aaron Moy signing his deal. I can't believe it. I didn't think he was going to play for us in the championship. Um, so I got to the club the next morning and uh, Aaron was there with his agent. And as soon as I walked in the room, I knew um, that he wasn't going to be staying with us. You could just tell from the facial expressions. You can read, I can read people reasonably well. And I could just tell that that wasn't the conversation we were having. So um, his agent said, look, you know, we've got to be honest with you. You know, Aaron wants to play at the highest level. He wants to play in the Premier League. He doesn't want to play in the Championship. Um, it was obvious that they'd spoken to a club, which was Brighton. Fine, agents do that. Aaron wouldn't do, you know, but agents do that. Um, and I said, right. I said, well, that doesn't really work for me. This is the conversation. <laughs> that doesn't really work for me. Um, I said, because, you know, Aaron's in his last year. So you're telling me that he wants to go on loan to Brighton and you want him to go on loan to Brighton and Brighton want him to go on loan. And yeah, okay, you'll, you'll, you'll cover his full money, etc. but he's in the last year of his contract. And that just doesn't work for me, him going out on loan. Um, and that's that. I said, but also, Aaron staying probably doesn't work for Aaron. And that doesn't really work for me either because I can already see that he's not quite himself on the pitch and any player that's in the last year of the contract is always going to be at the back of the mind. Number one, not wanting to get a serious injury. Yeah, one foot out already. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and number two, they'll be worrying about the situation to wonder where they might be in 12 months' time. And Aaron said at that point, he said, in his exact words, he said, to be fair, you know, my head's in la-la land a little bit, Phil. You know, I really, you know, yeah, you're right. It, it, it won't be right. And I said, so at the minute, you're giving me a choice of, he goes to Brighton on loan, they cover his money, and then he leaves on a free at the end of it. Or he stays and we get maybe 60% of Aaron Moy. And I said, that don't work for me because you're a hero to me, to the supporters, and a 60% Aaron Moy won't leave this club a hero in 12 months. And I don't want that. And I said, you've been fantastic for this football club, Aaron. There's no question of that. But this club's been fantastic for you. No one had heard of you outside of Australia till you came on loan for us for a season and set the place on fire. So we've been good for each other. And Aaron went, we have. I said, so let me tell you what works for me. What works for me is that you sign that three-year contract plus one. You go on loan to Brighton because I would never and Dean would never stand in the way of an opportunity for a player as long as it's right for the football club because that's not fair. So you sign that three-year deal. We'll put a clause in there that allows you to leave on a permanent in any window for a minimum figure that I'm happy with. And we'll put a recall clause. 
so that if you don't play in at least half the games, we have the ability to recall you in January. And they asked for a bit of time, so I disappeared out of the room. And to be fair, 20 minutes later, his agent came in and said, he'll sign it. And that was that. That's how it happened. And, and you know, nobody was more good than me, but I had to make a decision for the football club. And, and to let Aaron go out on loan fulfilled what he wanted, but he left on a free. To keep Aaron without signing a new deal, we'd have a 50-60% Aaron leaving on a free. Neither of those were good for the football club. And I know the fans were disappointed and so was I, but Aaron signing that three-year deal, and by the way, he didn't have to. Aaron did not have to sign that deal and that's why he's an absolutely top, 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 top guy. And he signed it. And what that gives us is, if we go up this season, and I'm, even I'm laughing at that right now, but he would he would come back because he, he would absolutely play for us in the Premier League without question. There is a very slim, let's, let, me be, let me be clear, there is a very slim chance that he'll get recalled in January because it's a double recall, so Brighton can send him back if, if, if at that point. Yeah. But the likelihood is that he would he would look to play at a higher level abroad in the at January. The likelihood is I'm not saying that, so it's, it's but but let's 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 be, let's be honest. But we get a fee for him no matter what happens, which is right for this football club. That, and that, that's why I made that decision because it was right for the club and it was right for Aaron. And Aaron sent me a text that night. And I've kept it because it actually it, mean, it means something. Aaron sent me a text and said, Phil, thank you so much for doing this. You're a good man. And I texted him back and went, Aaron, thank you for doing this. You're a good man. You didn't have to sign that contract. And you've given that back to the football club. And that means a lot. And that, that's how it happened. And that was where the third loan went because they wouldn't wait. And we didn't know what was happening with Aaron because he was Aaron's direct replacement. And we had other options, but do you know what? When, when you're paying that much money because you, you're giving full recovery and these lads are earning a lot of money in the Premier League, yeah? It's got to be that Kieran was the right player and we, what the other ones that we had just weren't quite as good as him. And we, so we decided to wait. And we decided to wait hopefully until January when something will, will happen. So that's that's the three loan story and the Aaron Moy story for you. I'm sorry, everyone, but I had to do what was right for the football club. I apologise, but I'll, it hurt me just as much as it hurt you. You've you've done a cosy on me and you've moved the the, the agenda around, so I'll bring it I'll bring it back. <laughs> on. We love cosy; it's fine. <laughs> We're, so I'll bring it back around. So essentially, that long story sort of indicates no, you did not purchase the club with the parachute payments, which was the last one. Uh, this is essentially what happens at the championship in terms of spending money. Yeah, um, look, that that that's that's down to me, and it's not down to me. So, despite popular misconception, I I don't get involved in the football side of things. I employ football people who do that. So, ultimately, the managers and David will make the decision on whether they want to strengthen and how they want to strengthen. Mm. Just to manage expectations, the January transfer window. It's very rare that much permanent transfer business is done by anybody because prices are overinflated and Carl and Grants don't come around more than once every five years. So if there are opportunities, they'll be backed. But realistically, we've got a budget. You've got to remember that part of the battle in the championship isn't how much you spend on transfers, it's what your wage budget is. It's how you use the loan market. And our wage budget this season is more than double what it was in the season we went up. More than double. It's a big budget. It's a big budget for the championship. Um, and you've also got to remember that we've got, conservatively, a squad worth 100 million quid. 
that need to start fulfilling the potential. Mm. You know, for me, it's the worst thing to do for this football club would be for anybody to throw another 50 million quid on top of 100 million quid and hope that it works, because I promise Mm. you it won't. We've got to go backwards before we go forwards to a degree. We've got to sweat our assets and players will move on for the right price and we'll reinvest some of that money. Some of that money will go into the football club because we won't, I want to maintain a competitive budget, playing budget, wage budget. That's the key. There's no point saying here's 30 million quid, but the wage budget's halved. It's pointless. It's, a, it, it, it's nonsensical. If you're clever enough in the loan market and you pick up the occasional, you know, Heffley, Lover, um, you know, and, and, and Tommy Elphick, who, who I rate, and Fraser Campbell, you know, they're, they're two, two million. Fraser Campbell's a two million pound player. Hull couldn't afford to extend his contract due to their situation. So they let him run it down and we picked him up and we, we, we paid him the money. So um, it's not about that. In the championship, I don't believe that we're a £10 million player club and I don't believe that that, that that is the championship. So, and don't get me wrong, this is again down to the football side of things and, and Danny and, and what have you, not me, but... My personal opinion as, as a supporter of what our football club is in, in, in the championship is I would much rather spend 10 million quid on five two million pound players who are hungry and on an upward curve that we can make into 10 million pound players than one 10 million pound player. And the reason for that's not money, it's risk. You sign five players at two million, there's a very strong chance that more than two or three of them are going to end up being worth more money, develop and become great players. If you sign one player for 10 million, there's a 50-50 chance it might not work out and you've blown a hell of a lot of money that you're not going to get back. It's about running it in the right way. It's, it's not about the amounts. It's about it's about character. It's about getting the right player. It's about having hungry players. It's not about having players who think they've made it already. It's about having hungry players who want to be there and who are on an upward curve and can become better. And that's 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 what it is for me. That's that's those that's my belief. Okay. Not saying that's what's going to happen because it's ultimately not down to me. <laughs> Danny, Nicky, and David Webb might say, "Sod that! This is what we're doing." So, and that's fine. It's up to them at the end of the day, as long as it's within the budget. So we'll wrap up that that that, that bit there. And the the last two questions we got from from Twitter. So I think for. You've you've covered quite a few from Chris Smith and Lucas White there. So Brady Frost says he's taking over anything like you'd expected it to be. No, no. <laughs> can we leave it at that? Yeah, can do. <laughs> I mean, you, you've seen up. you've seen what's happened over the last sort of two months, um, and and so no. Uh, Poffy Mouse, he asked what Julian Winter's role is and what does he sort of get more involved with day to day because he's one of the more quieter members of the board if yeah, you like. Julian Winter is the CEO so his job is to manage and oversee the football club side of the operation as opposed to the football side so there's two, there's two different sides of it so David Webb is head of football operations so unlike a sporting director where you know he's responsible for hiring firing the manager etc etc head of football operations manages the operational part of the football side of the club so you know from the academy to the, the facility to um, nutrition fitness and all those departments is responsible for managing those and working with the managers mm-hmm. um, to, to you know on, on the football side of it and the and the head, head of recruitment and the recruitment department so Julian manages the football club per se he's the CEO so he oversees it yeah. uh, I wouldn't say commercial operational it's an operational role yeah it's, it's the operational side of the football club and all the departments within it they all report into him and it's his job to manage that 
Okay, so the next section we've got here is the... You started talking about buying the club in January, around about that time. Yeah. Um, not, I'm not pinning this on you, but the initial sort of, a lot of problems started in January on, on the field, which was David Wagner left uh, after the Cardiff game. What are your thoughts on what rank, what well, what went wrong really from from January onwards? You know, Jan came in. Um, th- there's the story with you know seven or eight players went to him in in a, in a short period of time and said that they didn't want to be here. There was yeah. there's that. Uh, how what what have you taken from that? Because you were I think more sort of looking through the window maybe a little bit at that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was I was looking through the window, so I wasn't um, in the club, if you like. Um, and I think that what went wrong was that people are looking at it that things started to go wrong in January. And if you want my honest opinion, and this is my opinion, um, I think things started to go wrong after we lost at home to Spurs in the first season. Genuinely, that's when I think it started to go wrong. A slow decline from that point. Yeah, it didn't happen. It didn't start in January. It, it, it can't be that bad that quickly. It just can't. It's just not, it's not possible. So I think that this has been a gradual 18 month decline. Um, I believe and sincerely hope that we've hit rock bottom, the rock bottom part of that decline. And therefore we start on an upward curve. We've definitely brought in the right, the right guys to do that as far as I'm concerned. And I'm no doubt we'll cover that shortly, but Mm. um, we've got to start that upward curve. But do you know what? Sometimes when you've gone so far forwards unexpectedly, yeah, you've got to go backwards before you can go forwards again. And I think that people need to maybe reset their expectations of how long it's going to take because it's going to take a long time. If it's taken 18 months to get there, it's going to take at least that long to to get, you know, to get back on an even keel, hopefully quicker with a bit of luck. But it's, I'm not going to use the word patience, just realism. Yeah, this is this is it, it, this isn't something that started in January. It started before that, mm-hmm. and it it it, and it it gradually got worse. And we've pretty much hit rock bottom now for me. And we've got to now start the upward curve. I asked a question on Twitter um, last week, I think it was, and I'd just like your opinion on it. If do you think that as much as it was a euphoric night and we all celebrated like we'd won everything, do you think things would have been different? in a more positive way now if Jonas Lossel hadn't made that save at Chelsea and would have lost that night. So if we'd have gone down rather than stayed right, up. if we'd have gone down rather than stayed up. Um would we have gone down with a, a stronger squad and a better mentality and rather than sort of browbeating you, I, until we you've just down. asked me that question, I haven't thought about it. So I don't honestly know, but if we'd have if we'd have gone down, then I think that summer transfer window would have been different. Yeah. Um, I think that's fact, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, and I, I was speaking I was speaking to Dean on the phone today, and we were talking about you know the the plan and the reality is just going back to your last point. You know, I've bought the football club, but I've taken on the same three year plan that Dean had put in place. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing is exactly what Dean would be doing. Dean would be doing what I'm doing now. And we had that conversation today and he said, Phil, I won't be doing anything differently to what you're doing. We would not be flinging money around left, right and centre in the championship. We've got assets to sweat. We need to realise the value and then we need to spend it wisely. That's what we've got to do. So I don't know is the answer to the question, but we stayed up and it were, I were there. It were a brilliant night. We stayed up. So look, it's it's, personally speaking, I wouldn't ever change that. No, 
why, the why euphoria would you? of the night. But why, why would you I want would to just change try history? Think of the football club as a whole. And it, look, what we've got to do is all of us together. And 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 I got my head around this fairly quickly, but I'm right there, so so I can do. What we've all got to do is we've got to accept that what's happened's happened. Yeah. And the past is the past, and we've just got to concentrate on the future, whatever that might bring. Whatever that might bring, we've got to concentrate on that because we can talk about what's happened in the past until we're blue in the face, but we can't go back in a time machine no. and change it. So that were a great. It was a great night. Yeah, well, I was sat behind some old Chelsea fans, and they were absolutely. They were just turning around to me, going, "Your team are rubbish, <laughs> defending nine men behind the ball." They were slating us, but at the end of it, they came over and went, "We're really glad you stayed up." Yeah. And and it was just one of those. And that save was just unbelievable, yeah, and and the portrait it was just like. How we even got those results? I mean, how, how did we even go up? No. I mean, we all know for a fact that if we'd have got Fulham rather than Sheffield Wednesday in the playoffs, we probably wouldn't have got to Wembley because they'd battered us both home and away. Yeah, did, yeah. Well, you know, sure. and, and it's like Dean said to me at the time, that season, all the stars just aligned. Yeah, it was meant to they be. They just aligned. It was yeah. just, and we all, I knew, yeah. even when, even those first penalties, I still thought we were going to go up. Yeah. It was just one of them seasons. And, you know, when you talk about money and, and players and stuff like that, if we're going to do it again, we've got to do it in the same way. It's not about how much money you spend on players. It's about getting the right players, the right manager, the fans behind you, and it all coming together. We're not going to get promoted again by spending 200 million well, quid. We, we said that's earlier, didn't we? We said earlier about people about wanting to spend X amount of millions in January, like that's the fix. But when you look at current form, as bad as it's been... Our probably three key players at the moment are two loans and a 1.5 million, two million quid <laughs> exactly. striker. Yeah, what we've got to do first, and I do believe that we've got the right guys in Danny and Nicky to do that, is get the players that we've got realising the potential and playing like we know they can and we've yeah. seen them do. That's the starting point. If, if that doesn't happen, then we've got to do something about it. But we're six games in, we've got 40 left. I know it's been abysmal, but the only thing, the only positive that I've been able to take, and trust me, I've spent hours awake at night trying to find a positive, yeah? We haven't been out of any of those games at any point. No, we haven't been back. We've not been out of them. No. It's not been great. It's not been pretty to watch. No. I've not been happy. You've not been happy. No one's been happy. But we haven't been out of any of those games. No. Even the ones where we could have been, where we could have been yeah. four down at Cardiff in the first half. We weren't. And so... If we can get the players firing and get the confidence back and get them moving, then I think we can... There's a lot of good players there. There's a lot, there's a lot, of, good a lot of good players. There's a lot of good players. Flinging a load of money at it isn't the answer. And what you've also got to remember is we haven't got the luxury of owning our own stadium. So a billionaire can't come in and buy the stadium off himself because we don't own it. No. So we can't do that. And financial fair play dictates that you can't lose more than £13 that, million pound a season. That's buying things an all new conversation, <laughs> isn't it? Exactly. So let's not go there. But <laughs> no. we don't have that luxury if we even wanted to. No. We don't have that luxury. So it's off the agenda. Yeah. And you can only lose a certain amount of money over a, over a three-year period. And so we... we that, Custodian, I've got to make sure that the football club's sustainable and that it's still here in ten years. That's yeah. the job. That's the that's the that's the job, and the rest is extra. So you mentioned recruitment and players in particular, quite key key to it all. Uh, one person who's attracted some form of criticism over the last six months, and you, but you gave him a glowing reference, was Josh Marsh. Yep. So people look at the last three windows and they go, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. But to be blunt, 
Um, they look and they look at Diakabi and Benson. We've had a chat off air, and we, we we I think we both think that in future they're going to be really good players, but maybe not yeah. what we needed at the time. Mm. What what skills does Josh Marsh bring? Because people are questioning, people look at it and they go, right, this player shouldn't have come in at that time. Maybe we needed something slightly different. Does what 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 is it? I know he's head of recruitment. Josh Marsh is head of recruitment, and Josh is a really really good guy, very talented, and he's learnt the ropes with us. So he's been with us quite a few years. He's an intern, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not an intern. He was uh, started off as a scout. Scout. I think okay. he started off as a scout quite a few years ago. Josh is really, really good. What you've got to remember, uh, and this still stands, is that every signing, the final decision is the manager's. Every signing, every signing that we made last summer was David Wagner's decision. Every signing we made the summer before was David Wagner's decision. Every signing we made this summer was Jan Sievert's decision. Every signing we make in January and next August will be Danny Cowley's final decision. Josh's job with his team is the manager will say, we need a left back, we need a right back, we need a centre half. This is the type that I want. I want an athletic, I want a tall, I want a rangy, I want a pace. And Josh's job with his team is to go out and find the players that fit that criteria Mm -hmm. and what they do is we have a football forum but that's just purely to discuss things it's not to make decisions per se what Josh will do with his team is he'll come back with options that fit the position and the attributes that the manager wants and he'll come back with a list of players that are available on free transfers players that are available on loan and players that are available for a fee how much it's likely to be what sort of money they want quite extensive Uh, it's very extensive and it's up to the manager to make that decision so the reality is and I don't believe that we're in a position to start. There doesn't need to be scapegoats. We don't need to blame anybody. It's just happened. It is what it is. I wouldn't blame anyone. We don't need to blame anyone. It's not. It certainly wouldn't blame Josh. But the bottom line is that every single player that we signed was either David Wagner's decision, Jan Sievert's decision, and it'll be Danny Cowley's decision. It's not mine. It's not Josh's. It's not David Webb's. We can give our opinion and we give our opinion, the bottom line is the manager decides and has done. And that's who it's down to. Okay. So we'll move on to Paddy Power, the whole Paddy Power episode of, of, I've called this one. I, I understand from Sean was here on, on this podcast a bit since he, he said that at the time, he, he, didn't, he sort of indicated that they've been speaking to some sponsors from quite early on. So before your start, if you yeah. like. So you, you weren't involved with Paddy Power at the start uh, or the process uh, to bring them on. So Paddy Power, I didn't realise how diverse, uh, how uh, divisive Paddy Power were at the start. I've always just thought they were just the, the daft betting company who do funny videos every now and then on the mm. website. Um, but they are quite a divisive company, uh, uh, Paddy Power. Uh, Chris Rowan uh, has been in touch on Twitter and he says, does the club regret the Paddy Power relationship? Um, they said it was, he said it's clear that the kit was a hoax, but the length of time the joke went on was was too long for him making international footballers wear that off the back of a a postseason created a an era that HTFC is a bit of a joke, you know, maybe a bit of a joke. Are you happy with how? Because in terms of popularity, it's it's been suggested it's the most it's the sixth most popular kit launch. So, so there's there's obviously trade offs there as Look, well. I can answer it really succinctly. So uh, do I regret it? No. Um, the kits are fantastic. The money that we raised for charity was fantastic. Um, I think what we need to do is learn from it. I think it was poorly executed. Mm. Um, and I think we need to learn from that. And we have. It won't happen again in, in that way. But do I regret it? No. Have we fallen out with them? No. We're paying the fine. Um, and that's a lesson for us. 
And so I just think it was poorly executed on our part. And and as a club, we've learned from that and banked it. And as long as you learn from those things that, 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 you know, moving forward, then that's all you can do. So we all make mistakes. No one's perfect. And, but no, it's not, it's, there's no regret. Um, th- there's no regret. In in some ways, it's been fantastic for the club, mm-hmm. um, and the exposure. In, in other ways, it's just been poorly executed, and and we'll learn from that. So, you mean in terms of execution, you mean sort of the referee said that you asked him to postpone? The, was it postpone or cancel the game? Was that? You know, I I would not agree with everything that was that was said. I think that's fair to say. So is there a future with Paddy Power after this? Because Paddy Power were going to, uh, I think they're going to have more shirt amnesties, weren't they, going forward? What's the, do you know what the future is for with us and Paddy Power in some of the things that have been set up? And that's uh, all Sean, Sean and his department's remit. So um, there's nothing that I'm, 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 I'm aware of specifically with them. Um, it's, it's an initial one-year deal and I think it'll be a one-year deal. I think it's probably something that'll only happen once. Mm, absolutely. So we'll move on to David Webb. This is uh, the, the role, I always find this the most fascinating role in football, the head of football operations. It's, for, for a lot of Huddersfield fans, this is it's almost a great unknown because we never really had anybody like that until Ross Wilson walked through the door. It took quite a few people to get their heads around what, what this, this particular role did. I think Ross took some stick, didn't he, for, for quite yeah. a while until, until it proved. And then obviously Stuart Webb has built on what Ross did and yeah. everything looked quite strong. We, we, we've had some... Issues there. David Moss came in. That didn't work out for Dean. He left. There was long gaps without a director of football, which we've been in with Dean, so we don't need to go over. Uh, Olaf Rebbe came in, etc. What makes David Webb the right person for the role? We, we saw him. He's done some a, a few interviews here, but he's obviously been very busy, so we've not really had a chance to hear him speak yet. I'm hoping Dave gets a HTTV interview lined up, which would be great. <laughs> um, but what makes him right for the role? He's he, he, he sounded great on the Danny Cowley press conference. His, his CV looks great, you know, from what you've seen him do. But what makes him right for Huddersfield Town? His his skill set, what, what makes him the best fit for this job? Yeah, so so look, with a role like that, you obviously, you look for experience and skill sets, etc. But you also have to go with your gut to a degree. Once, once all the boxes have been ticked on experience and quality and, and, and so on, You've got to go with your gut. Uh, you know, David has worked at some unbelievable clubs. He's worked at Bournemouth with Eddie Howe and, and was very much integral in that whole period where they were bringing... Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Through these young players that are all now and going got promoted 15, to the 20 million quid well, and they got promoted yeah. to the Premier League. He's worked at, uh, I think, Southampton. He's worked at Spurs. Spurs gave him, uh, directly to me, a glowing reference. Um, he's worked for Ostersunds, but he's also done consultancy work in the top divisions in Spain and Germany as well. Um, and and he's, got, he's got an eye for a player and he's got all of the experience that we need. Personality-wise, he's the perfect fit. And... and 
I did all the interviews with Julian uh, Winter and at the end of David's interview, um, after he'd left the room, I turned to Julian and said, he could be the next Stuart Webber. That's my gut feeling. It's just, there's something about David and, and I'm sure he'll come on at, uh, you know, at some point if you ask him, I'm sure he will. He's very engaging and he'll get too, a yeah. feel for that. But, he, you know, his, his experience, he, he just ticks all the boxes. He just ticks yeah. all the boxes. He's just... It's one of those things, it's hard to explain, but his experience, when you look at who he's worked with, Pochettino, Eddie Howe, I mean, you know, come on, um, and, and, and top clubs, and you look at some of the players that he's identified and worked with and so on, and, you know, I, I can I can put out a long list and I'm sure he, he, he will anyway, but he's just a quality guy. We get on really well. We've got a good relationship. Um, you know, we're very clear with each other and... I don't need to get involved. I comp- I trust him implicitly to be able to get on and run that side of things and work with Danny and Nicky. I, I don't have any. Nothing keeps me awake at night. I I don't. I don't need to be there, and that's what how it should be. That's how it should be. I should not need to be involved in the football side or be there. I just re- in reality, I should be able to turn up on a Saturday and watch us win. I'm desperate to. Um, and and so and, are we. Yeah, I've covered. I think we've we three wins yeah. since we started. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But but he's 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 the guy. He's just that's all I can say. He's, and his experience and his CV speaks for itself. Excellent. And he's he's just a top 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 guy. And I trust him. So going back to social media, Paul at exslb one says, how does Danny Cowley? So we'll come on to Danny Cowley next as well. But how does him being manager affect David Webb's position? It doesn't because David's, as I said before, David's the head of football operations. So. Uh, sporting director and head of football operations are two very different roles. Sporting director is really where the sporting director has total control over the football side of it, including the hiring and firing of managers and staff, etc. Head of football operations is an operational management piece where they manage each of the departments and work with the management team and the departments to make them as good as they can be and liaise with them. That fits perfectly with what Danny and Nicky, you know, wanted, and, and that was that was part of the remit and they're perfectly happy to, to, to work with David and they've got no issue with that. They they will have, which is what they wanted, final say on, on transfers. Freddie Cocker uh, says, with David Webb now in place, how will the recruitment process change going forward? Will we see a change in the types of players we targeted in the last two summer windows? And why did we deviate from the German model, which was successful under David Wagner sort of 2016-17? Ask David. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Not David Webb, ask David Wagner. David Wagner was was in control of the recruitment last summer when we moved away from the German model, so there must have been a reason for it. I don't know what it is. I would imagine David Webb's... I'm not going to make any spiders and web, but I would imagine he could cast his net if you like. That's not that's a fish one. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'd imagine he could cast his net quite well, wide with the experience the, the, that he's yeah, got as well. The, 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 the recruitment and how we do it will be driven by Danny and Nicky and David, but it will be ultimately driven by Danny and Nicky. They will... <clears throat> tell us what we need, what we want, what type of players that we want, and we will recruit based on what they want within our budgets. That's that's what will happen. It's, it will be down to them. And David will work with them and Josh will work with them and they'll work together as a team to get the right players for them to decide which one they want. That's how it's, that's how it works. That's how it's always worked. As I, I don't know whether it's a misconception, but it, it's down to the manager. It genuinely is down to the manager. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't go in and, and say I think Congolo should play at left back or anything like that. I, it's, it's, I've never done that. It's, it's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with me. It, it, you know, team selections where players play, hundred percent down to the manager always has been, 
I would never, ever interfere with that. I won't, I, and I wouldn't give me opinion unless I was asked for it. And it'd be rare for a manager to ask me for my opinion on where they think a player should play. I've never done it. And I, and I never will unless asked. Okay. So we'll, we'll move on from David Webb. Hopefully, we're looking forward to learning more about David as he settles into the role as well. He's, he's, he's had a baptism of fire. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So pre-season. So well, it's not been much on, has it, to be fair? <laughs> it's been quiet, hasn't it? It's been quiet. So in pre-season, everything was quite optimistic. Um, we won quite a lot of games pre-season. Didn't lose. No. Um, well, the question is what went wrong, essentially. Was it a case of when when you go away from home or you go on tour, everything's, everything changes and everything, you leave your troubles at home and then were the problems still waiting for us at home, maybe? Uh, no, I think... Um, so, 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 so the factual answer is I don't know because I'm not one of the players and I don't know what's going on inside the Reds. But my opinion is that playing in a friendly versus playing in a game where there's three points at stake and you've not won since February is a totally different mental experience to cope with. And I think that we were fragile. And I think when it came down to the pressure of three points mm. and it had been so long since we'd got three points, I think mindset's... A different you become ne- you can become negative in your play QPR being a case in point mm. we didn't play that badly we were 1-0 up and I knew with 20 minutes to go that we weren't going to win because we were just inviting them to we play just, we, just, we just sat back and that's you, you could and, and if you watch the video back you can see Jan on the touchline screaming at them to go up he was mm. screaming at them and waving at them to get up the pitch and they just they were just scared that's how they looked they looked frightened mm. And I think the pressure of those three points, having been relegated and having not won for so long, I just think it's a different scenario when you're playing pre-season and there's nothing at stake. I think you just play with confidence, freedom, yeah. and and and, and you, you get on with it because there's nothing at stake. When there's something at stake mentally, you know, it's it's, it's it's different. And that's my opinion. So Jody Calvert is one of our one of our regular contributors on here as well. She says, uh, considering it's clear that a lot of current issues in the squad are linked to mentality and confidence. Uh, rather than ability, like you've you've pretty much said there, has the club consulted a sports psychologist yep. at any point during this spell? We've um, had we we have a sports psychologist that we use and we've used a lot and continue to use and they've done a lot of work with the players and continue to do that. Um, I'm thinking about hypnotism. I don't know whether that's going to work. <laughs> Get Darren um, Brown in. Yeah, I'll give Darren a ring. That might, might do it. A bit of hypnotism, <laughs> but yes, absolutely. Um, we we do uh, we have a sports psychologist with two actually that we use and. Let's just say they've been used frequently this season. And Craig Blythe also asked that question as well. I'll throw that one in. So that that's that's good to know. It's uh, we we don't put much stock in preseason anyway. So you know when we were winning games, we were just like, all right, well let's see when when the yeah, football. It was nice though, wasn't it? <clears throat> it was good. It was a nice change. Even though it was preseason, it was nice, nice change. So we'll move on to Jan, uh, a guy that I personally quite liked. Uh, I my concern with him, we, we've had this discussion affair where I've mentioned this. My my concern with him was that in the heat of battle and post-match he seemed overly emotional and I thought that might not transfer through brilliantly sometimes. It reminded me a bit of Lee Clark. Lee Clark was very sort of sort of that negative energy almost. Um, yeah. And you you obviously, as as, you, as everyone would expect you to, you publicly backed Jan at the Q&A. Um, I think it was Jan who, who also made the decision to change Andreas Winkler as well for Colin Bell. What was the thinking behind that move? Was I think Colin Bell was always his number one choice, wasn't he, when he first joined? Yeah, I think Colin was his number one choice, but he had a, a, a contract. He did at the time, but he was he had a job and he wanted to, 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 to see it to a certain point at least. So he, he wasn't available. Um, 
with Andreas Winkler. I had watched the last few games of the season, and when I when I, I tend to I I don't I watch the game, but I watch the dugouts and body language is is everything to me. And I watch our subs when they warm up because you can tell from the way that a sub warms up whether they want to come on or not. Mm. You can just tell by the way they warm up. Kachunga always want, looks like he wants in quiet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can just tell. And I watch the subs, I watch the benches, and I'd watched our last sort of three or four games, five games of the season. And I'd looked at the bench, and I just didn't really see anything from. Winkler, I just didn't see a lot of input. I didn't see a lot of engagement. I wasn't sure what he was doing. Um, and I just put that to Jan. I just said it was, I, I didn't have a problem with him. I just said, um, he, he was on holiday and I spoke to him and, I, and it was before he went away actually. And I just said, you know, are you happy with what Andreas gives you? Are you happy with his contribution? Are you, are you, are you, are you happy with that? And he said, well, you know, I think so. Yeah. And then he rang me um, before he came back from holiday, probably about 10 days later. And he went, do you know what? I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think he's giving me what I need and I'd like to try for Colin Bell again. So that was, that was that. Yeah, Jan, Jan, Jan was emotional, but, but, you know, Jan very quickly fell in love with Huddersfield Town Football Club. He did. He was a good guy. He's a good coach. I just think that, you know, wrong time, wrong group of players, wrong situation. But yeah, he was emotional, but he just wanted to win. He just wanted to do well for the fans and for the football club. He, he genuinely, genuinely loved the football club very very quickly just just fell in love with it and he wanted to do well and I think it hurt him more than anyone will ever know that it didn't work out um, and he genuinely cared for the football club mm. genuinely cared for the football club he's a good guy quite hard when he yeah he did yeah. he did he's, and he's a genuinely good guy and I think he'll go on to do well but like I say I just think wrong time wrong situation wrong group of players in the wrong circumstance and sometimes that happens We'll go back to social media again and Stephen Murray has, has tweeted and he says Dean Hoyle admitted I'm not I'm, this is this is Stephen's tweet he says Dean Hoyle admitted that he should have objected to the appointment of Turnant but was new and out of the respect for the previous regime went with it later having to sack him uh, was that always was that the case with you or Jan or did you genuinely think he could succeed um, no I genuinely thought he could succeed I'm, I'm not going to say any different because I genuinely thought he could succeed um and for the reasons that I've said, it just didn't. The reason that I made the decision was that, you know, Jan stated that we would play in a certain way and do a certain thing and we'd be it'd be a high high press, high tempo press, passing through the thirds, getting the ball down the wing and getting the ball into the box. And after those first few games, I didn't at any point see us playing in that way. And the more games that went on, I didn't see it. I didn't see us getting that identity and playing in that way that, that it was supposed to. And there's, 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 the reality is the, the only reason for that is either he's not getting the message across on the training pitch and that's why they're not executing it or they don't want to execute it. And either of those are a problem if you're a manager, you've got to be able to manage. And, and you know, it just, I didn't see us, I didn't see us barring a few short spells in, in some games. I just didn't see us playing in the style and, and identity that mm. he promised that we would and said that we would and was, was coaching them to do. And so that was a problem. So we had to make the change. Nathan at Flying Potus has asked, is, was there any trepidation in taking taking the decisive action against against Jan Siva? Obviously, you're quite new and you've, you've just stepped into the role yourself. Was was there any sort of temptation to kind of just sit off and see how it goes? Or? No. No? No. Um, once you've made a decision, you know it's the right one. You've just got to execute it, no matter how hard it is. And it's not hard sacking anybody in, in in football or not. It's not diff, it's not it's not easy to deliver bad news. 
But once I'd made the decision, that was the decision and it was happening and it, I had to carry it through because, it, 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 you know, common theme, it was the right thing for the football club. And I've got to do what's right for the football club. Regardless of the cost, I've got to do what's right for the football club. Absolutely. And I'd, I'd wish Jan Zivert the best of luck going forward. Yeah, he's a great guy. Like the guy yeah. he's, a great, he's a great guy and deserves to be successful. Genuinely does. We'll move on to transfers. Transfers is something that excites Huddersfield Town fans. I think we were starved of transfers for quite a long time until Dean came in. I'm spending vast amounts of money, if you like. Oh, maybe not vast, but decent amounts. I think under under previous owners, we probably weren't as affluent, maybe we'll say. We'll mm. probably hold that there. Um, so we covered a little bit earlier on, so I'll try not to duplicate on, on what we've discussed yeah. already. Um, so... Getting obviously getting relegated from the Premier League would always mean that you would have to cut the squad. It, it just makes no sense carrying us. I presume it was sixty around. I presume sixty around sixty million the wage bill, fifty bit to more. sixty, bit more um, than sixty. You obviously can't carry that. They, they had the reduction in there, didn't they? So the the payment reduction, but you you couldn't necessarily carry that sort of squad level. And the, there's a lot of players in there as well. Um, you previously said it would take some pretty big bids uh, to part with some of our players close to the deadline as well. Um, one player that you appear to have got a big bid in and sold was Philip Billing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on how Billing handled himself and how that move came about? Was it ever tempting to take like a cut fee, just say, get out, Phil, just off you go. Not you, but Philip Billing. <laughs> uh, was it ever tempting to do that just to get rid of get rid of Billing? Um, so yes, it was tempting to do that. Um, but one of the, you know, one of the things that I've learned from Dean very, very quickly is football is all about who blinks first. Mm. Um, it was very clear that he didn't want to be at the club and he made it very, very, you know, he didn't hide the fact. Um, we got a bid in from Bournemouth, which was nowhere near our valuation. Um, and we decided that we would take control of the process. Um I'd had some intel, which may or may not be correct, but I'd had some intel that he had met with three Premier League managers during the course of last season, one of them being Bournemouth. Whether that's true or not is irrelevant now, but that was the intel. And it appeared that the only club that he wanted to go to was Bournemouth, and he'd probably promised that he was going to go there and there may be an agent link in there somewhere as well with the manager. But and that makes it more um, difficult for you, obviously. And uh, and that makes it hard. So I took the decision to... Uh, well, we, we took the decision to mandate him. So when you mandate a player, the club instructs an agent to sell him on behalf of the club mm. to get the best possible price. And I felt that that was what we had to do to protect the club. Um, a second club came in and immediately made a fantastic bid that was acceptable. So we accepted it and we gave Philip permission to speak to that club. And Philip refused to speak to that club because he didn't want to go to that club. He wanted to go to Bournemouth. So I said, well, you aren't, you aren't going to Bournemouth um, unless they beat the offer that we've got from Club B, who you have permission to speak to. That situation went on for three weeks. <laughs> Where I was getting texts from the player, uh, I think this, the word slave was used a couple of times, um, and and we maintained our stance, and I maintained the stance, which was, we've got an offer that we've accepted from Club B, you've got permission to speak to them, why don't you go and talk to them, they're in the Premier League, and you're not going to Bournemouth until they beat that offer, which they ultimately did. Now, this is really important, because this is something that supporters probably don't know, and they won't know, because I, I didn't. <laughs> um... So at every level, including the top six, 
Transfer fees are paid over two, three, or four years. Standard. That's the way. In and out. So if you buy a player, it's usually, the standard is usually three years. You usually get to pay for them over the term of the contract. Even the big transfers, even Liverpool and Man United do it that way. Everyone does. It's over a period. And the bigger the fee, the longer you get to pay for it. So with billing, um, that split over three payments over three years and there are add-ons based on Premier League retention and appearances. So where's the billing money gone? <laughs> that one of the next questions. So the first instalment, and what you've got to remember is that when you sign a player, they go on your balance sheet as an asset with a value like any business. And assets in businesses depreciate in value. So Philip had been with us for five, six years. So his value on our balance sheet was zero. So we have to pay corporation tax on the full value of that transfer at 20%, 21%, plus the sell-on to his previous club. So at this moment in time, on the billing deal for the money that we've had, we're down on the deal. So we've actually paid out more on that deal than we received in the first instalment because we had to pay the corporation tax and the sell-on fee. So where's the billing money? It's gone on tax. And so the second instalment that comes in in just over a year will go into the club. The third instalment will go into the club. Same with Tommy Smith. Tommy's asset value on our balance sheet was zero. So we've had to pay tax and and, and so on. So the first instalment of Tommy's money has gone. It's been spent. Government have got it. HMRC. That's how it works. So the players are an asset on your balance sheet and they have a value. And if that value, if they've been with you for a long time, it's likely that that value is zero. So whatever you get is classed as profit and you pay tax on it. And that's what happens. So you don't get your money up front. It doesn't work like that. You can fund it so you can take out a loan to fund that transfer fee, but I'm not going to do that. We've, we, we, we have to be a sustainable football club, so I'm not going to forward fund it and pay 15% interest on a loan for a transfer fee just because we want it now and we want to spend it. I'm happy with it coming in over three years because it, that, that, that continues to give us a significant playing budget and there's money coming in. By the same token, the question of where is the Premier League money gone? So 2018, we had revenue of £125 million. Yep. We spent £62 million on player and coaching costs wages. We spent £17 million on general overheads. And we spent £4 million on tax, which left us with a profit after tax of £42 million. So accounts show profit, but that's paper profit. It's not cash. We then, our net player position was minus £36 million, so purchases against sales. And we had a fixed asset spend of £6 million. Guess what that adds up to? £125 million. Yeah. Year two, 2019, 117 million in revenue, player and coaching cost 64 million. And I'm giving you this information because it'll be in the accounts when they get published. So it's probably going to be public knowledge. Yeah. 17 million overheads, a million tax, which meant that we had a profit after tax of 35 million. However, our player trading was negative 34 million and we had 3 million of fixed asset spend on the stadium. So we actually had a 2 million pound loss. You've then also got the fact that we've still got 44 million pound in committed transfer fees to to pay out over the next two years from players that we've bought because you buy them and you pay it over time as well. So when I said the Premier League money had gone, I didn't mean we're poor and we've got no money. What I mean is for a club like us in the Premier League, you get 125 million in, you spend 125 million to try and stay there. You get 117 million in, you spend 117 million pound to try and stay there. You actually spend a little bit more because obviously we paid out bonuses and so on that are included in the general overhead, which means in... In this summer, 
whilst we spent £11.5 million on the accounts, we're not paying that £11.5 million out. By the same token, I did have to pay out £29 million of transfers from last summer, this summer. So we actually spent £40 million on paper this summer on transfers because we had to actually pay the cash out on the second payments of the ones that we made in August. So it's not as straightforward as where's all the premium. That's where it's gone. So the parachute payments cover some of that as well. So you don't, it's, it's not disappeared suddenly. I've not, this asset stripping things just, well, it's a disgraceful lie. Um, that's how it works. You, you, you try to try and stay in the Premier League. It costs a lot of money and you, you are paying for that still after you're out of it. Yeah. That's why you get parachute payments for that very reason. Yeah, it's there. Survive. Yeah. So we paid out £29 million this summer on top of the 11.5. The 29 was was the other portion of last summer's transfers. So, so it's always paid over two or three years and there's another 12, there's another 32 million to go out in June next year from this, this summer's transfers and January's and so on. And there's another 12 million to go out in 2021. So it's, it's accounted for. It's accounted for and that'll all be in the accounts. There's nothing to hide, nothing to hide. So there's nothing going on. There's nothing underhand. That's how much it costs. That's what the Premier League costs. And it, it doesn't just cost you in that year. It costs you for three because you, you buy and sell and it's split over time. Yeah. So that's where the billing money's gone. And that's what I meant by we've spent the Premier League money. We got it in. We spent it. We've got the parachute payments. We've got our revenue on top of that. We've got to trade players to make sure we remain competitive. But we would have whether I bought the club or not. I, I don't think any of us take into consideration, obviously, the, the tax element. I didn't, I didn't know about that. No. To be honest, I didn't know about that. Guess what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now you do know that. Yeah, I know everything now. Um, I'm fully au fait with it. Is that part of the reason why a lot of clubs, most transfers are now down as undisclosed so as to not get fans' hopes up of there's X amount in bank? and No, to be honest, so, 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 so part, it's probably partially that, but in reality, when you sell a player, the buying club can choose to put a non disclosure agreement on the transfers, and that's right. what they do. Right. So we wanted to publicise the billing fee. But Bournemouth wouldn't let us. They made, yeah. We had to sign an NDA to not disclose it because they they want it to be undisclosed. Yeah, and that's so, so it's just no one discloses transfer fees anymore. Yeah. No one discloses. Which is a fans very boring, isn't it? Honestly. It is, it is very boring. Say, but what what the supporters have got to do is get me out one night when they're all my friend and get me drunk and they might <laughs> they might find a little bit of this out. You never know. But it's non disclosure agreement. We've just got to create a table now. <laughs> But that's that's the reality of it. You don't you don't sell a player for fifteen million and then get fifteen million dropped in in a briefcase. Yeah. It's, you don't work like that. You get it over yeah. a period of time, and you've got to mop up the tax element and the sell ons, etc. And if the downers nil on your balance sheet as an asset, that tax yeah. bill's big. It's millions, yeah. and it was on billing. Where yeah, actually, where actually very expensive assets are they? on a cash basis. We're down on that yeah. deal currently. We don't get up until a, in twelve months yeah. time. That's that's the truth. Fascinating. It's crazy. So, Raji van der is another one that went late on. Um, maybe you can scotch some rumours on, on this one because there's a few people Go on, what saying in the know uh, a bid came in during the Luton game which you've said on the on the thing so um, Van Lepara came off after an hour or so so some people who are claiming that he was brought off under your instruction you're shaking absolutely your head absolutely not I don't think most people <laughs> believe that it'll have been absolutely dreadful for the, the record if I ever said to a manager take him off they'd tell me where to go we, Quite we rightly, enough, to be fair, don't we? It don't work like that. It doesn't work like that. No. So, how, how did that all come about? Okay, then? so so Van Lepara wanted to leave. So his agent first contacted me the day that the club deal went through, 
and said that he wanted to leave. And how much did we want for him? So and everything he put on Instagram, because he, he he's quite good at working town fans, isn't he? Lot what posh, you've got re- what, what what you've got to remember is that most of the Instagram accounts aren't run by the players; they're run by their agents. Right. Okay. The vast majority are run by their agents. Fact. And then it is brother. Might be. <laughs> so he he wanted to leave his his agent his his agent it wasn't him Van Lepara never came to see me face to face so that would be unfair to say but his agent his agent controlled that and every week twice a week I got a message or Julian got a message or the manager got a message or a call from his agent saying that he wanted to leave and how much did we want for him and in that scenario it's a who blinks first so the response is. Every player has his price. If he wants to go and the club that wants him meets our valuation, we will consider it. Stance on everything. Yeah. We're not going to give you a figure yeah. because somebody might offer more than we want. So yeah. um, we'd had two or three offers in for him that were not acceptable. They were anywhere near. They were rejected. And I got a, uh, a WhatsApp um, during the Luton game and I've kept them. And the first one came through at 20 past two, just before the Luton game, um, from Red Star Belgrade, making an offer of an amount, which was rejected. Uh, Dave just kiboshed that. <laughs> I nearly told you how much. But I can't, because it's a subject of an NDA. Put him in the cupboard. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, 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 that was rejected. Um, and ultimately... There was to in and fro in throughout the game and after the game, and ultimately it got to a point at 20 past six. Therefore, that's a myth about him coming off. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't already know that there was an offer coming in and therefore that might have affected his performance because I don't know. You would expect it. Um, but uh, at 20 past six, we got to a point whereby they'd made an offer that was very, very good for our football club, more than has been reported um, and that's all you need to know. Significantly more than has been reported. And we agreed that deal. And strangely enough, I got a, a, I got a call from his agent five minutes after that saying, is it okay if he doesn't get on the team bus and go straight to London where we've got a solicitor waiting and he's already got a bag packed <laughs> to sign his deal? So just for those that, <clears throat> excuse me, so those that don't know, the reported one was around 1 million, I think. So we'll leave that, leave that there. You've just mentioned that. So... Yeah, it was more than that. So people have uh, messaged in. Uh, Jay Saunders says, was Van Lepara a bad egg? Jody Calvert also says, have we got rid of all the bad apples in the squad now as well? I don't expect you to fully go I into I think bad apples is, 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 un, is, is unfair. So, so, so look, if I walk into my office tomorrow and get all my staff in a very big room and say, listen, guys, we've had two fantastic years, but this last year has been a bit of a stinker. So you're all going to have to take a 50% pay cut. Mm. How many of those people do you think are going to be heavily motivated to do their best possible job for me or want to stay working for me if they could go and get a job for double what I'm offering? So so that's the realistic situation that we're in. So it would be unfair to criticise the players per se because we don't live in a world now. Football hasn't been a world for the last 25 years where players play for the badge and Mm. players at a club for for life. That's a rarity. That's an exception. So let's accept what world we live in. And that's where we are. You've got players that have been earning really, really good money, playing in the Premier League, loads of exposure, loving life, um, that have now... They signed the contracts and they knew the consequences, of course. But 
human nature dictates that you get used to living a certain lifestyle and earning a certain amount of money. And when that gets chopped in half, you're not very happy about it. And that's Pati- regardless of what level you earn as well. You Correct. Live, you live to your means. You and, live to yeah, your means. Yeah. Of course you yeah. do. That, that's human nature now. That's the society that we live in. Yeah. And footballers are no exception. So it's re- it's an un- unfair to say bad. Look, we know that everyone, everyone knows what happened sort of leading up to the summer. And there were two or three players that were very vocal about that. And they went. They went. So dealt with. Bad eggs is really unfair because that's not the situation. You've got players that are feeling bruised from getting relegated because they've all got pride and they all believe that they could and should have done better. Um, And they're in a situation, like I say, whereby you kind of say, you know, your money's dropping to this and they've all got agents in their ear because their agents don't want to lose these players because they make money out of them. So you've got agents in their ear saying, well, I can get you back on your same money somewhere else, trust me. And then when that doesn't happen, because they're maybe not being quite completely honest, um, they're even more pissed off. And so you've got demotivated players. I think that now the European transfer window's closed, I think that some mindsets will positively change and you'll see that reflected on the pitch. I think that it can mentally affect them. And and I know people are going to say, well, they earn so much money, but we're all human beings. Don't matter how much money you earn, when it comes to what happens up top, everyone gets affected. Everyone. And, and 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 that's the scenario, you know. So I think it would be unfair to say bad eggs. I, I I don't think we've got an issue. The dressing room's positive. The players are positive in in the face of what the start to the season. They want to do well. They want to prove people wrong that that are criticising them. And I think that they will. And we've got the right people to to get the best out of them. I believe. Um, and and we'll see a change. But yeah, it's going to take a bit of time. Hopefully we'll get some quick wins. That'll be great and make everyone feel better, including the players. But I don't think bad eggs is the right word. And I think that, you know, if it were if it were any of us and any of our supporters who got pulled into the manager's office and, and told that, they probably wouldn't be all that motivated from there at that point on. Yeah. So it's about how you manage the situation now, isn't it? So that's, okay. that's where we are. So two Bradleys of... of- been in touch as well, Bradley X1X and Bradley French, and it's about the same thing. It's about one in, one out quote that you did uh, the Q and A, I think it was. Um, so they've said, well, Bradley French says, did you ever re- say actually say anything about one in, one out strictly? Um, if you did, do you regret that? Um, do you feel it's been misquoted a little bit and used as a stick to beat you at times? Uh, and Bradley X1X has has just said. Are there any reason? Are, are we? You've covered most of it, but are, are we? Do you class us as sort of a selling club now? Sort of. We've never not been a selling club. Yeah. We've always been a selling club, and I don't know where. Look, after we got promoted, I said to Sean Jarvis, "This is going back over a year and a half." I said, "There is a danger that the Premier League can destroy a club like us, not financially, but we have to make sure that we don't develop a sense of entitlement, mm-hmm. and it's crept in. It's crept in." And that's a dangerous thing, a sense of entitlement, being entitled to be in the Premier League, being entitled to spend £50 million on players every summer. That's dangerous. Dangerous for any football club, but it's dangerous for a football club like us. Um, I've been slightly misquoted on a lot of things that I've said. Um, and that's that's human nature. People take what you say and they engineer it to what they want it to be. That's not a criticism. I've done it loads of times. No, the Chinese whispers as well. Absolutely. Um, the one in one out was in real. We, 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 what I was talking about there was key players. So we had a replacement for Aaron, but because of the circumstances, it didn't quite happen. And that's what I was saying. I want to be open 
But people have to understand that sometimes football takes control and you can't control the ultimate outcome. So people have to accept that I haven't lied, I haven't said anything that wasn't happening, but for quirky reasons or circumstances, it didn't quite happen. And so there's a little bit of taking out of context. And what people look at is players that have gone and players that we've brought in, they've completely forgotten players that we've promoted from the academy like Louis O'Brien that are more than good enough. Jaden Brown in the last two games that he's played has been absolutely outstanding. Wow, very impressive. Held his own in the championship and he's going to be a player. Mm. Um, so we've we've missed out on... If, if you look at players that have gone left on freeze, etc., and players that have come in and players that we've moved up, there's a discrepancy of two. Okay? One of the two was Kieran. The other one of the two was a left-back. And again, circumstance dictates. So we had spent a lot of time on a, uh, on a, on a working on a, a strong left-back. We knew we were weak in that area. We'd been over to Germany to meet the player twice. We'd put a lot of work into it. We, on the Wednesday before deadline day, we'd agreed a fee with his club of just over two million, which for a left back's a fairly hefty fee in the championship because left back and right back are usually what you'd call your cheapest I'm not players. Not going to ask you but did we play against him in pre season? Couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> that was um, <laughs> We'd agreed personal terms, and I was staying over at the manor house. Um, so I got back to the manor house on the Wednesday night at just before midnight sat up for a couple of hours um, and I got a phone call from said left back who was signing the following day, was flying over to sign. And basically he said, I'm not coming. And I said, why? And he said, my girlfriend's got two horses over here in Germany and she doesn't want to put them through transporting them over to England, which means she doesn't want to come over, so she won't let me sign. And I said, do me a favour, dump her <laughs> and ring me in January. And I just couldn't believe it. We had a second option and he'd signed for another championship club on a permanent at 11.30pm. I know that is. And so both of our both of our left backs, because of a couple of horses, we didn't get either of them, and we didn't have an adequate third option to bring on on deadline day that would have done what we wanted them to do. So we had to go with what we had. So those are the two that we didn't get in on the basis of one in one out, and that's my point. I want to be open, but sometimes things happen things and they're happen, out of your yeah. control. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not coming because my girlfriend didn't want to bring her horses over. Do you want to play like that? Do you, do you think sort of look at that? It's a bit of a weird girlfriend, excuse. not wife. So yeah, so you know, and and the reality is that where we are now is actually that hasn't worked out too badly in the end. Because look at Jaden Brown. Mm. Now that's it's going to be up to the manager as to whether they want to bring in a left back in January. That'll be up to them. But I'm sure Jaden will be given every choice. And we work on the basis of 33 players, so we work on the basis of 11 starters. <laughs> 11 cover players and 11 development players. Uh-huh. So so Josh Karoma and uh, Reese Brown were brought in as cover to develop over the course of this season, get some games, but be ready next for next season. That's what okay. they were brought in for. So they'll play some games, they'll get some game time, they'll be involved. But the plan was that they would be starters next season, but they'd get 
game time and we develop them. And that's the philosophy and the strategy. You bring in players that have got the potential to play now, but you have a year to get them to a point whereby they absolutely will. That's the plan. Um, and so we, we're actually not a million miles away when you look at our squad from having those 11 starters, 11 cover and 11 development throughout the club. Um, but that'll be up to you know Danny and Nicky in conjunction with David as to what they want to do moving forward and they'll be supported. Okay, so we had you've covered quite a lot of questions there that people would have had, so I'm just going to skip over those. Um, Graham Rain has mentioned that he, obviously you, he doesn't get to see what you get to see, we don't get to see what you get to see. Um, can you understand why fans have been worried? And obviously hearing that now will obviously, pl- I think, placate quite a lot of them. But Completely understand. Um, I've, I've always said when people have asked me that fans only know 5% of what actually goes on in a football club. Mm. And, you know... I accept that with Dean being at the club for 10 years, that that's a level of trust. And I accept that I haven't been here long, so I haven't got that level of trust at this moment in time. So I'm not going to sort of roll out the just trust me because that'll come with time. But all I will say is I will never do anything that isn't in the best interest of Huddersfield Town Football Club. I will never do anything that's just in the interest of me. It will always be what's right for Huddersfield Town Football Club because I love it and I'll never do anything to harm it. And... I don't expect people to trust me straight away. Hopefully that will come with time, but hopefully they'll accept that and that I'll never do anything that's not in the best interest of this football club because that's what I'm here to do. Antino, Anthony O'Neill says, um, can your next deal be to bring in Olsen for left-back cover? Which leads me to ask, would you consider any free agents? Obviously a lot of free agents aren't we've, fit, are they? We've, well, lo- we've looked at Olsen. We looked at Olsen at the end of the transfer window when we were successful and feedback was that there are that there are potentially some some long-standing injury issues, and that's why he hasn't got a deal. And therefore, he's not played since December, um, I think either has he? No, um, and and you know we've looked at free. We've we've got a big long list of free agents, and David will run those by Danny and Nicky. And if there's anything they want to do, we'll support it. Um, you know. That's just going to take a bit of time. They've been here a couple of days, so that'll yeah. de- that'll develop the the free agents for a reason. And and. Yeah, we've 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 looked at the list. We know who the free agents are. We know what positions they can play in. We considered Olsen, but the feedback was that it probably would be a um, a, a move that could could be one that was dangerous for us. It may, may, may not be a wise investment. And again, I've got to make the decisions that's right for so the He's not going to want to come for six months, is he? Twelve months? It's not no. realistic. No, no. We'll move on from transfers. I think you've covered everything, so thanks for that. We'll move on to social media before we get into What's Danny that? Cowley. Social media. What's social that? media, which you no longer have. <laughs> I, don't I have been forced by my wife to delete all social media. So my accounts, I think, are still live, but they've been deleted off my devices, so I can't look at them. Okay. Mr. Threlfall Sykes tells me anything that I need to know. Uh, I think that I think the phrase is, it's always good to know what the mood is and what's going on, but you don't necessarily need to see it. Mm. Okay, so um, the first question was from Zach HTFC. He says, do you read people's opinions on social media? So obviously Dave, Dave reads the opinions on social media. Um, I did. Some old posts prior to you buying the club. A bit. So we'll, we'll talk about social media in two forms, your social media and then the social media towards you uh, or about you. Um, some old posts are flying around from between sections of, you know, between a couple of town fans, um, with you calling one or two one or two choice words obviously as fans you know if if me and Neil won Euro Millions and, and wanted to buy into the football club some of the stuff we've said over the years would be <laughs> a bit off the scale but um, speak for yourself 
Well, yeah, I, I am, yeah. <laughs> Especially. <laughs> but do, do you sort of regret anything that you might have put in the past on social media or is it just... Past you, the past, I've said that all yeah. along. The past, the past. I never thought that I'd have the opportunity to own this football club. And with stuff like this, people don't, you don't, you don't set out in life. You set out in life with a purpose, but something like this is, is a unique opportunity that you, you genuinely don't ever envisage some either doing it or having the opportunity. So I don't live life with regrets. And that's, that's one of the important things. If you live life with regret, then you're going to be a bit of a worrier. And so... Um, no, I don't regret anything that I may have previously posted. At the time, I clearly felt strongly about it, and that was my opinion. And opinions are just that, they're opinions. Um, you know, if people want to use things like that as a stick to beat me with, you know, they're welcome to. Uh, if it makes them happy, I'm happy that they're happy. It's, that's, that's the way, that's, that's my philosophy on life. Fair enough. So we'll move on to content about you as well. So there's been some some quite poor stuff written about you in a lot of areas. Um, I'm sure you're aware <laughs> poor, of that's an interesting word. <laughs> trying maybe to be polite too. Maybe gone a bit stronger than that. Um, Peter Swallow's been in touch and he says, how has the terrible negativity and insults from some fans affected you mm. and your family early, you know, early in your ownership of the club? And the HTFC family friendly Facebook page says, due to the abuse, do you ever re- did you at any point regret buying the club because of it? Um, it's affected my family significantly to the point whereby my wife and my mother didn't feel safe to come to the Fulham game, so they didn't. My son will always come with me because he supports me, and, uh, and and we've got a very close bond. And you know, look, my 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 life has three things in it by way of order of importance: my family and my friends. I've got a very close group of friends that we've been you know been friends with for decades. My family are everything to me. And the day that my family tell me that they don't want me to do this anymore is the day that I won't do it anymore. Um, my friends, people that know me know who I am and what I'm about and they know how hard I work and how much things mean to me. And their opinion is the only one that matters because they're the only people that truly know me. Uh, and if people can't be bothered to get to know me and want to make personal abusive comments towards me that are not based on fact when they've never met me and they've never got to know me and they've never spoken to me that's their choice and I feel sorry for them they have my pity um it's affected my family significantly I would be lying if I didn't say that it had tainted the first couple of months at the club because it it has and it's taken away from the job that I'm trying to do um do I regret buying the football club? No, I love it. No one will ever, sticks and stones, no one can ever say anything to me or be abusive towards me that will give me a moment's regret regret to buy the club that I've loved for 40 years. It's just, the, no one will ever have that power over me. So I'll, I'll wrap up some of the stuff that, so Coxie81 from Twitter says, as the figure, he thinks <coughs> as, as you as the figurehead of the club, uh, it makes you the easy target. That's why maybe some of it has been headed headed towards you. Um, and maybe people are holding you account for the poor start from, from January onwards, really, in that because you're an easy target because you're at the top of the club. Maybe it's a... Look, here, look here's the reality of the situation. Um, I, I didn't sign any of the players that we signed last August. I didn't sign any of the players that we signed in January. I was involved in the process, but the managers choose the players, so that wasn't down to me. Um, I didn't get us relegated. 
Um, and, and, you know, I've been at the club for, I think, I think it's about 65 days. I'm somewhere between 64 and 68 days. If anybody out there genuinely believes that in 64 days I've managed to ruin a football club, that's pretty impressive, that, isn't it? I mean, that's got to be a fairly serious feat of achievement to be able to do that. Um, and it's simply not the case. Um, have I been disappointed by the level of some of the abuse and the threats and stuff? Massively disappointed. Um but it is what it is. And the reality is, is that I've got a job to do for the good of the football club and to do the best job that I can. And that's my concentration and focus and it's got to be. But yeah, it's affected my family, particularly my wife. Uh, Bradley Friend says, any of the criticism you've received been justified in your opinion? Hey, listen, look, um, <clears throat> I, 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 the personal stuff isn't justified. The stuff that has been based on non-fact like finance and things like that isn't justified because if anybody had bothered to actually look in the same place for different stuff, they would have seen that that was, you know, um, not true. Um, do I regret anything that I've said and, 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 and maybe things that could have been taken out of context? I wouldn't say that I regret it, but I've learned from it. And I think that as long as you can learn from things and make sure that you either temper them moving forward or avoid them or deal with them in a different way so that, you know, you don't create a situation for yourself, I think that's all you can do. And, you know, every day is a school day. Every day is a school day, particularly at a football club. And I'm learning every day and I'm doing my best to do my best job and I'm doing my best to make sure that, that I take on board you know, and, and learn from those things and, and do them better moving forward. And and I'm, I'm not new to owning a football club, but I'm new to owning this football club and a football club of this size. And it's a learning curve and I'll keep learning and I'll make sure that I'm always doing my best and that's all I can do. Let's move Let's move the topic from, from that to something happier, something that will make you smile a bit more, I think. And that's the new manager search that we've you've been successful in yeah. landing the person that you want or the people that you wanted to run this football club. Yeah. Do you want to talk us through the process of, of what went on there? Um, you know, David Webb was involved, obviously, I think day one, wasn't it? Day one, yeah. he walked to the building. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. What was the process? I think people would be interested to know what the pro- what process you went down and how thorough that process was and why you came to the uh, conclusion that Danny and Nikki Cowley were the best people for Huddersfield yeah, Town. Of course, yeah. So, so first of all, David and I sort of sat down, and we, 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 we it was a, it was a one-page document. It was very straightforward. What are the qualities we're looking for, and what, what, what are the, what, what will tick the boxes for us? So things like not being frightened to play younger players and promote from the academy and so on, being able to work within a, a sensible budget, and and and. Um, you know, how they work on the training pitch and having a clear identity and, 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 and so on. Um, and again, some things taken out of context, but what I said was that part of the criteria was someone that had managed at an elite level. So first team, elite level's first team, yeah? yeah? So someone that had managed at an elite level for three to five years minimum, so with some experience. Now that was taken to mean Premier someone said that I'd said Premier. five years of managing in the championship. I didn't say that yeah. at all, but it was we needed someone with experience. Um, I felt as though we'd exhausted the German model, to be honest with you, and it had worked once and failed once. And um, I really felt that we needed to go back to an English manager, although that wasn't hard and fast. So it wasn't, it has to be, but I felt as though that was what we needed as a club. It didn't taint the process. Gut feeling again. Gut feeling. Yeah. 
Um, we received 79 applicants and we, we, we worked through um, those applicants against the criteria. David did, to be fair. I can't take any credit for that at all. David did some serious hours and some fantastic work. We, um, David spoke to a lot of the candidates, so I didn't get involved at that stage. So David had a lot of telephone, video conference calls, face-to-face meets, etc. And he came back to me and with with four that, that he felt I needed to see with him. Um, and we agreed on that four as well, which was great. So we're, we're totally aligned. And I, I kind of said, that's, that's the four. That's the four that I think uh, as well. Um, just for the record as well, um, Nigel Adkins wasn't one of them. I didn't speak to Nigel Adkins. We didn't uh, interview Nigel Adkins and we didn't offer him the job. Uh, I know that um, it, that story was run um, and Dave Threlfall Sykes contacted myself and David Webb when it was run and asked us what the situation was and we confirmed that we hadn't spoken to him, which we hadn't. That was fed back by David to that particular outlet um, and they chose to ignore it and decide that we were what we were saying was wrong and they then further ran it on the Friday. Um, I didn't speak to Nigel Atkins at any point. He wasn't on the shortlist. We didn't interview him. We didn't speak to him. Uh, he texted me on the Friday before the weekend that we finalised everything. Uh, he'd got my number from someone. Um, he texted me and I passed it on to David Webb who out of courtesy rang him on the Friday and said, um, you, you've not made, you, you're not on the shortlist so we, we won't need to speak to you. Thanks for your interest. That was the first time anybody at the club had spoken to Nigel. So with respect, that that, that was inaccurate. Um, we hadn't offered it to Hannah's Wolf. We hadn't offered it to anybody. We hadn't offered it to anyone. Um, so I I met with David with the four. Um, and uh, prob- probably, I probably, um, with Danny and Nicky, it, they, they were top of the list you know, straight away. Did they'd, they apply they'd been, for the job? Or? They applied for yeah. the job. Okay. They applied for the job. Absolutely, yes, they did. Um, they stood out. I, I personally spent about eight hours with them, uh, about three to four hours with them, sort of what was sort of a second interview, but a first one for me. And then I somehow managed to get them to Canal Side for four hours under cover of near darkness we cleared everybody out and no one saw them and no one leaked a picture of Izzy Brown claiming it to be Danny <laughs> Cal either um, and I showed them around the facilities all the facilities all the pictures we had you know several hours chatting about football and things like that and it, we just clicked from a process of due diligence we put together a dossier on all, all four of those candidates um, we looked into the personal circumstances the, the social history the managerial history the formations what formations they played, what the average age of the squad was, how many young players they played, how many young players they didn't play, what, you know, how many goals, the record goals scored good against. It was detailed. I mean, I've shown you guys yeah. the dossier on Danny that we put together yeah. and it's extensive. We looked it at is. where they scored goals, goalkeeper distribution, whether it was long ball, whether it was in their own half playing through the thirds. It's safe to say it's a, a, a wad of paper. Yeah, we, we, it, it, that's why it yeah. took so long. We yeah. literally went into everything yeah. um, David Webb even went to the MK Dons Lincoln game at MK Dons and, and got a seat two rows behind the dugout and he spent the game watching how they interacted what they said to the players what they said to the bench the fourth officials how they worked together as a team um, and I just wanted him we both wanted him um, initially following all those meetings and the training ground it was all really positive and then 
I think on the Monday, they kind of contacted us and said, we, we just don't feel like it's the right time. We've, we've, we've got a, we've got a, a, we're doing a job at Lincoln and we just don't feel it's like, it's the right time. Um, and at that point, you know, we could have gone on to the next candidate, but I couldn't. I wanted them. David wanted them. We both wanted them. They, they were right for our football club. They are right for our football club. And it's not just about the success and how they play and how they conduct themselves and that kind of thing. It's the whole part of it. They, they want to be involved in the whole football club. They want to bring the fans back together because I, I can see that the fans have started to become quite detached from the football club and the closeness is starting to drift and we've got to bring that back. It was there. actually apparent yesterday in the, in the press conference when Danny mentioned that they do a full audit of the football club. Um, so, they do. You know, yeah. top to bottom and that's, that's thorough. You know, they, these are two lads who are coming from lower leagues with no experience and no, no. knowledge and no... No, they've no. they've worked with Pochettino, they've worked with Eddie Howe, they've worked with Gather Southgate, they've worked with some of the best managers in this country and and, and Eddie Howe said to David Webb, because obviously he's worked with, with, worked with him, he said, I never thought that I would ever come across any manager or coach that worked harder and put more hours in than I do. And I have, and it's them. Yeah. They, they were very highly spoken of. Um, we spoke to players who have played for them and were playing for them. We didn't because it would have been obvious, but we did it in yeah. a way whereby, you know, it was, yeah, a, it was yeah. a passing. And the feedback was unbelievable about how they are in the dressing room, on the training pitch with the players, the man management, the way they play. So we could have gone to plan B or plan C because we have to have options. And that's, again, working in the right way for the football club because you don't always get your first choice. Um, but we didn't. And David and I were persistent. We kept in contact with them. We kept speaking to them and, and until ultimately they caved in and they said, yeah, we want to come. We want to come. Um, that was on the Friday and then it took all weekend to get everything boxed off contractually yeah. Saturday and Sunday and then part of Monday. Um, one of the main reasons was that their lawyer was on holiday in Portugal so he'd only do work after five o'clock, which was a bit of a pain. Um, and, and then... Yeah, we got it done. We agreed the compensation with Lincoln, which is public knowledge. It was a million pound. Um, we agreed their packages and, and, and the contracts, etc. And that all got done on Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. What day are we on? Wednesday. Was it Monday? No, it was Monday. Sorry, it was Monday. It's a blur. And yeah, done and dusted. And, and, and here they are. And they are. I'm 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 just glad that I persevered and, and, and wouldn't let it go because they just are absolutely right for this football club. What what, just, what was it that changed within them saying no to saying yes? I probably just needed some time to reflect because it was you know, you, you can see what Lincoln think of them and the fans and the yeah. club and what have you and they've yeah, got a real something. connection. Very yeah, similar to Wagner's yeah, connection with us and Yeah, I think I think, you know, you, you know, they've been asked that and Danny's answered it, so it's not for me to answer, but he, he, you know, Danny has answered that in, in that they it was a wrench to leave Lincoln, but when they sat and thought about it, this you know, this opportunity was one that might not come along again and they wanted to take it. They wanted to live the best life, I think is what Danny said. I think Somewhat on those lines. Some along did, those yeah. lines. Yeah, and so they, I think they re, you know, they yeah. reflected on it and, and, and decided that this was that you know, they they, they, they both said to me that it, you know, they could have chosen other clubs over the summer and what have you. But and, and Danny actually said this to me and I, it was quite nice after all the uh, the recent events and he said 
you were the you were the main reason that we came because you choose your chairman and you're a supporter and you love this football club and that's what we want to work with. It was very open about that in the press conference as well. To be fair, he said very we, open. we don't want to work with an owner that doesn't have a connection. Yeah, and they had that with Lincoln. Now you know the yeah. Lincoln owner's a great guy, and yeah. they had that connection, and they wanted. You know, that wasn't the only reason. Don't get yeah, me wrong, yeah, I'm not yeah. bigging my part up here, but that's what Danny said yeah, to yeah. me. He said, you're a fan. Clearly you've got that connection and, and you care. Yeah. And I do care. And, and they, they saw that. Yeah. Obviously, in, in the time that I spent with them, they, 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 that must have come across. And they're just right for us on every level. Like, I, I just, I'm so happy. I think from all the, the sort of stuff that's gone on over social media, what I mean, all, everything that's been said, mm. I think it's pretty safe to say that this is, pretty universally accepted as a... It's unanimous, a, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, as, as a bloody good appointment. And I think everyone's, you know... Be, 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 yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm fully... I, I can't wait for Sunday. It's, you know... Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those, I can't wait to get down there again. It's, and it's... and it's, it, it was. I liked what he said as well about, you know, it's not about, you know, one win doesn't change everything. Yeah, don't no. get me wrong, one win would be bloody Listen, nice, wouldn't it? But one, one we win all want to win everything. the next yeah. 40 games on the yeah, bounce. but it doesn't like, change. Yeah. But, but it... it it's not They're realistic, a, aren't they? Yeah, it's not about the result on Saturday. It's about getting getting that closeness moving back towards, you know, with the fans and the club and getting that... Yeah. Uh, Positivity is the wrong word, but that feeling back. Yeah. You know, when Wagner first came, we yeah. weren't particularly brilliant, but no. you could immediately see something was yeah. changing. And I think we'll, we'll see that. I think they will genuinely... Because everyone was that fed up. I think they will genuinely, genuinely have the backing from Sunday. I hope so. I, I don't think it's one where they've got to earn it. I think everyone's excited to have a meeting out there. From, I, I, I you know, hope people so. We it'll talk it'll be, it, it, it's, it just feels like we've turned a corner. Yeah. And, you know, I've definitely, I've definitely got the right head of football operations. I've definitely got the right manager and assistant manager. We've got fantastic staff at the club already and they don't feel, they didn't feel the need to change any of them, which is testament to how good they are. They must have got a good feeling for David Webb as well because they're going to be working very closely with him every day, yeah. aren't they? So, yeah. you know, that's a big relationship for them at the football club. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big relation for the football club, not just for them. Yeah. No, so completely. they must have got a good feeling for him as well, which completely. is positive going forward yeah I, I I don't feel right now I don't feel as though I need to worry about the football side of things I don't feel as though I need to be concerned about it and that's I'm dead happy about that yeah. I don't feel as though I need to be involved in it I don't feel as though I need to be there it just feels right and it feels as though I can get on with other things I want to get involved with the foundation that's important to me yeah. um, and I've got a business to run and that's important to me um, and, and that ultimately my, 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 you know, my, my business interests uh, with, with Pure Business Group and the companies that I invest in, etc. You know, they're the companies that generate the revenue that that pay for all this, and and so that's where I need to be and want to be. So, um, you know, it's like I've said, if if Danny and Nikki feel that it's beneficial for me to be around at any point, I will be. But if they don't ask, I don't need to be there. No. I'm just that's not me. I don't, I don't know where some of this stuff's come from, but you know, this isn't a vanity project or an ego trip. David, you know, David's here, David Thrillfall Sykes, and David knows that I say to him all the time, please don't make it about me. I don't want to do that talk. I don't want to be yeah. in that program. I don't want to do that. I genuinely don't. Yeah. I don't want it to be about me. Right. It's about Huddersfield Town Football Club. I just want it to win games and do well and for everyone to be happy because that's yeah. what makes me happy. Yeah. And I don't want to be the face of it. I don't want to be the front of it. I know I've got no choice because I'm the chairman, so inevitably I will have to do things. But 
you know, David will tell you that I avoid it where possible because I don't want it to be about me. I never did. And that's not what's important to me. That's not what makes me tick. No. So we'll wrap up some of the, with some of the social media comments on, on Danny Cowley's. It's good to see how excited you are about everyone. I I can see, obviously this isn't out on video, but you get, you know, you're buzzing in your chair, you're you're bouncing in your chair talking about it, which is, which is great to see. Uh, Danny Ledger, I always call him Danny, he'll tweet me again angrily, but Denny Ledger and Molly Firth have both said, what happens to Mark Hudson, Dean Whitehead and Clem now that the Cowleys are here? Are they staying? Absolutely. Mark Hudson's first team coach and they want him to be first team coach and part of it and they'll help him with his development to ultimately become a manager. Uh, And and Dean and Clem will, you know, Dean will go back to the under-19s and Clem, in Clem we've got probably, I think, the best goalkeeping coach in the top two divisions. And the last one is is a question from Willow, age nine. Uh, will the new manager have a, a different technique and be more spontaneous up front, or will and will be getting more extra, more exciting strikers? And essentially asking if the football is going to be a bit more exciting under Danny Cowley. What's not excitable about Carl and Grant, Steve Mooney, eh? <laughs> and uh, Fraser Campbell? Um, look, that's down to that's down to the managers. Uh, that's not a question I can answer because it's got absolutely nothing to do with me. Um, you know, we'll we'll see that in the coming games. You know, the su- Sunday comes where you've got to bear in mind that they've only had fifteen players in training this week because there's quite a few on international duty. So we're not going to see the full Cowley brothers. Um, you know what they're going to bring on Sunday. I do definitely think that we'll see some 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 positive changes, but. You know, they've had, in essence, they'll have had four or five days with two thirds of a squad. So it's going to take a bit of time. But I I, I think that I'm going to come away from Sunday, regardless of the result, still feeling excited and positive. And, and you know, it's a journey. We've started a new journey. And we have. We've started a new journey. I'm excited about the journey. I don't know where it's going to lead us. I know where I hope it leads us, but I don't know where it's going to lead us. And it's like I said, it's not my club. It's not your club. It's our club. And we just need everybody to stop all this infighting with each other and and, and and try and stop the negativity and just get back together again because that counts with the players. That positivity and, and the way we were for the first sort of 65 minutes with, against Reading, the crowd were, that helps. Yeah. That really, really helps the players, particularly in a moment of fragility, which is where they've been and hopefully where they're going to come out of. They need to feel that we're together as a club behind them, regardless of results, because it genuinely makes a difference. It, it does feel like somebody's press reset with this appointment. It does feel like it's the start of... I, I feel that way. Yeah. Right, so I'm conscious of the time and Dave's, Dave's very itchy over there. His feet are moving, <laughs> I can see it. So what what I'll do is I'll throw the last section it at you. It is nearly openly. five past 11 for people when you listen to tomorrow. <laughs> it is. And it's five past 11. five past 11? Yeah. yeah. I only live an hour and a half away. Oh, <laughs> my wife's texted me. That could be bad. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll... Stay in canals. I need to book an hotel, Dave. <laughs> uh, here's Matt's number, blame him, yeah. Um, what I'll do is, I'll, because I'm conscious, so I'll let you talk for however long you want to on, on this last section and we'll sit back and let you, you crack on with it. So I've sat back through all of it anyway, crack on. Uh, essentially, so it's about the future, what the future holds. What So what we're looking at here is the improvements to Canal Cider ongoing. Um, you've, you mentioned there's an option to buy Canal Cider. Yep. The stadium shares, I think, are still owned by Dean, are they at the minute? Or did they no. come with, are they no, came with you? No, they're owned by me oh, or the football club. Excellent. 
so canal side improvements, the academy structure. We've uh, we can we can touch on what what you sort of see the academy direction going in, and how you see that fitting in with what you think in the future. Maybe David Webb as well. Um, the fan zone uh, that's uh, supposed to be behind in the car park is it behind the stadium or was initially uh, the working class club. Um, mantra that you've you've popped out with and and the women's team you know women's football has been huge uh it's been growing gradually and then the world cup over the summer's taken it to another level and the manchester derby the other day was fantastic and would you be and and dave's mentioned already that you know you'd be potentially working closer together and would would you ever yeah. bring them back in yeah i think the in, i think we are going to be working closer together i don't have the full detail of it but i do believe that we are bringing them more into the club the women's team um Canal side, we've, we will this season, by the, end, by the end of this season, we'll have spent just over four million on Canal side as part of the development. So that's ongoing. The next phase starts on Monday. Did that get scaled back? I think Sean mentioned it. Got, it, got, it got scaled back before I bought the club. So, so it, it, it was originally going to be a three-story building. Um, and that was because we were going to move all of the club staff into it. But we've actually now the... The office space at the ground is is going to be vacated by, um, and um, sorry, what was the last part, Matt? It's just your plans, really. Do you know plans? Where, where, do you um, see us going? I think people are. I think what people are saying is, do you see us attempting to get back into the Premier League? I think is what people are looking at. Um, plans. You've got to break them down. So plans are to get the winning mentality back and start to win football matches again and get into the habit of not losing and winning football matches. That's the starting point and getting everyone's mindset in the right place. Um, insofar as our stated intentions, I think they're on the website and our, our, our intention as a football club is to be a top 30 football club in England. That's the intention, that's the aim, that's the goal and that's what we'll strive towards. So the top 30 football club um, and... Whether that whether that it becomes top ten in the championship or in the Premier League, you know, that's top thirty football club. That's the aim. Um, but I think you've got to start with, we've got to start with getting back to the right mentality to winning football matches and getting back on a positive curve and seeing where it takes us. Um, you know, and the last time we got promoted to the Premier League we did it on a budget that's half of what ours is this season and spending four million quid so we've proved it can be done you don't have to throw hundreds of millions of pounds at it to go up so we've done it once why can't we dream that we can do it again um, and, and you know would would I take it would anybody else take it Cos. but I think we've got to start somewhere and then see where we get to we've got to be realistic that, that's it really so finally we've had several people getting get in touch with us Johnny G 3617 Jody Calvert Claire Hill Essex Terry and I'm sure me and Neil echo this very much thank you very much for, for stepping into the breach that Dean Hoyles vacated and, and thank you very much for giving your best to our football club uh, and we, we all wish you the very very best of luck going thank forward absolutely thank you. thank you cheers is this the moment for Lee Fowler it is Take your place in Division 2, Huddersfield Town. He's missed. Steve Simonson clears the flame of the goal and collapses in a heap of tears. Pate's got a chance. Pate scores. Jack Pate scores. Heffel is in there. Smith scores for us, Field Town! 3-2 Town!
for a sherry. Danny Ward saves. Danny Ward saves. The flash was in. Round to Heia. 2-0 Huddersfield Town. Christopher Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, McNugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 